Zygazunt, and welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast. We're the, um, the number one podcast about those franchises of ones and those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. All other podcasts on the topic are number two or lower. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. God gave me a gift. I podcast well. I podcast very well. And joining me, as always, is my co-host who dresses in the manner of a male prostitute. It's Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Rage subsiding. Hi, Stephen. <laughs> I mean, better rage subsiding than testicles rising, I guess, right? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how's it going, man? It's going, man. I should mention that our good buddy Brett Wright is uh he's he, he's stormed off and God knows we expect him to storm back anytime now. Uh but we we wish him a speedy return when he does return. G- Tucker, this has been an episode that I have been waiting for for so long. Same. For so long. This has been kind of one of those like put a pin in it cuz I really want to cover this one, but I don't want to like cover it right out of the gate cuz then we're going to run out of good shit to cover, and I want to know that I have this one in my back pocket, but yeah, it's time. Full disclosure, we had a guest prep for this episode, and it, it fell through at the last minute. He wasn't feeling well. Uh, I'm actually recovering from something right now. You might be able to tell from my voice. And my throat's starting to hurt. So you'll probably be in this boat next week, because <laughs> maybe about this time last week was when it started happening for me, too. So Shit, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Hope not. Uh, but God, Tucker, I'm so excited to talk. This is a movie I've loved for so long and for all the shit I get on this podcast, mostly from you and Brad about being a a dorky film snob, dorky film snobs cannot love this movie as much as I love this movie. God, I love this movie so much. Tucker, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about 1999's. 1999 mystery men mystery men from 1999 directed by the great kinka usher written by neil cuthbert based on the comics by bob burden and starring comics yes flaming carrot um and starring gotta work myself up for this one yeah it's a big list hank azaria william h macy ben stiller jeffrey rush janine garofalo cal mitchell paul rubens the late Great Paul Rubens. We will do a whole sidebar on Paul Rubens. Don't worry about it. Greg Kinnear, Wes Studi, Claire Forlani, Susie Ezzi, Eddie Izzard, Tom Waits, Lena Olin, Artie Lang, Louise Lasser, Ricky Jay, Jennifer Lewis, Pros Michelle, Ned Bellamy, Joel McCrary, The Goody Mob, Corbin Blue, Philip Bolden, Ricky Rockman, Michael Bay, Michael Mark Bay. Mothersbaugh, Dane yeah, Cook, dude, that's my boy. Doug Jones, Dana Gould, Monet Mazer. What a cast, Tucker. What a picture. I agree with both of those, but I'd like to uh, amend your Goody Mob uh, section because it is worth noting that CeeLo Green is was and still is a part of the Goody Mob. He is, yes. Uh, I, you know, that, that's, it, it's uh, Cameron Gipp, uh, Willie Knighton Jr., CeeLo Green, and uh, Robert Barnett, uh, known as Yo. Big Gip, uh, Cujo, CeeLo, and Timo. And anybody who's not familiar with the Goody Mob, uh, they came up in the 90s alongside Outkast and, and other groups uh, from the Atlanta area, and they formed uh, a super group, much like the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, mm-hmm. called the Dungeon Family. 
And I definitely recommend checking out the Dungeon Family's one and only record. I don't remember what it's called, but just like look up Dungeon Family on your your streaming service and listen to that one record, specifically the song Rollin'. And you're going to have a good time. Also, Outcast is rad. Goody Mob is rad. Like, all those guys in that collective are rad on their own. So Holy shit. Into- this is... Well, there's first gen, and apparently there's second gen. Uh, yes. But their one album is called Even in Darkness, and it came out in 2001. It's so good. The thing that's great about all of these groups is, is that they have such a unique sound, but they blend the same sorts of genres, and they have the same kind of sensibilities. So to put them all together... It's it's fantastic. Um, there's a lot of uh, slow jams, old school funk kind of stuff mixed mm-hmm. with like high concept hip hop. Like Atlanta was where it was at in the 90s. Like I'm a big West Coast guy when it comes to hip hop. You know, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Warren G, shit like that. Ice Cube. NWA. Sure, sure. But Atlanta was a hotbed. In those days everything Sounds that came like out it, of atlanta man. in the mid to late 90s is just pure gold it's like detroit in the 60s man just kind of something Pretty about much. it yeah dude dungeon family is the motown of atlanta for sure right on yeah i, I looked over that that list of of uh, performers and holy shit that's like a a veritable who's who like this movie is a veritable who's who of like alt 90s comedy um the Dungeon Family is like a veritable who's who of '90s hip hop and R&B. Like that's that's really impressive. That's an impressive assembly there. So, yeah, right on. Mystery Men, Tucker. God, this is the one, man. This 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 is a. It's a big one. It's it's a big one for me. I God, we could go for hours on this movie, and I have a feeling we might. There's a very good possibility, even without a guest, even without our third host. We might go for a while on this one. We really might, because God, I I really, really, really love this movie. And there's so much to love about it. I think, um, and there's so much and to, to say talk about, about it. it. Too. Yeah, and not even like just stating our opinions, but there's so much backstory to this movie happening and mm-hmm. the making of this film. It's, exactly it's a wonder that it's even worth watching honestly based on the production history of it it should be a shitty movie it should it should be shit yeah and look i would not call this a good movie but i will call this a great movie because despite the fact that there are clear flaws in this movie that i could point out and show you like look this 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 not good um like inconsistent tone um green director like all this all this shit that you could point to everyone here seems to be having a really fun time they're working off of each other very well despite doing like five different styles of comedy within the same film and it is it is such a well-observed parody of a genre that had yet to take off that it feels like it was a good 20 years ahead of its time honestly at least at least yeah. yeah like this is this is this is the boys of the 90s mystery men walked so that deadpool and the boys could run absolutely they crawled so those motherfuckers could walk and skip mhm absolutely like mystery men died for your sins absolutely boys and deadpool like is basically what happened cuz in this movie make no mistake this movie died and it like bruce willis it died hard 
Um, but God, it's so, it's so, and I loved it from the moment I saw, I saw this movie. I think it was in the early 2000s. I think it would have been in high school. I think it was my buddy, Jeff, who introduced me to Josie and the Pussycats. And it was one of those similar situations where I was like, really you have to watch this movie. Like you have to see this. And I was like, okay. And we watched it and I was like, this is, this is, this is it. This is exactly my brand of humor. This is absolutely the kind of movie I want to watch. I love this so much. And I've only grown to love it more over time. Absolutely. It's a movie that really holds up. Um, I think uh, the older you get and the more you watch it, the more you can kind of see the cracks in it. But mm-hmm. honestly, they're beautiful fucking cracks. They are. Like, I mean, the more I learn about this movie and the more I watch this film, which I probably watch it probably once a year, once every couple of years, whenever the mood strikes me, mm-hmm. when I remember about it. But every time I watch it, it's, I don't want to say a completely new experience, but I, I feel like I walk away differently than I did each time that I watch it. And it's always positive. It's always mm-hmm. positive. And I I'm actually always... saw this. Go ahead. No, I was just, I always have a good time. This is what I was going to say. I always have a good time with it. I actually saw this at the movie theater mm. uh, in 1999. You succumbed to that ubiquitous advertising campaign for this movie. It was the cast. I was way into the main cast at the time. Ben Stiller. I was way into Ben Stiller because of uh, like Cable Guy and the Ben Stiller show. Uh, I think Greg the Bunny. I think I'd seen a little bit of that. Reality I'd Bites. seen a lot. Reality Bites, yeah, my sister was way into that movie because she's a couple years older than me, so like that was right up her alley when it came out. Um, But yeah, Ben Stiller, those early years of Ben Stiller, he was kind of popping for a certain audience, and I was that audience. Uh, right Janine on. Garofalo, I Hell had yeah. a crush on from like the moment I saw her. Oh, so you were, say, you were alive in the 90s, right on? I was alive in the 90s, and it, that's, that's not to say that uh, I only value her in an objective way. I think she's also a, a fantastic actress and as far as I can tell, a fantastic human being. Uh, but back then I just, I, I just had the hots for her. I just really, I, mean, look, I think it's because, because she was pretty, but also she, she would tell you how it is, dude. She don't fuck around. Jean Garofalo does not fuck around. No. She's never, she's never had a fuck to give. Mm-mm. Never has she had one. She's never that owned is- a fuck. That has been her entire persona, and I love her for it. Um, no, I I love Janine Garofalo. Like, I don't remember my first exposure to Janine Garofalo, but I remember just being like, okay, like it, you know, the angry, the angry vibe, Jewish, sure. the angry Jewish chick. Like, I love this. Yeah. Like, this is this yeah. is absolutely a mood, as the kids say. Also, and, uh, William I'm H Macy. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I also William H Macy. I was a big fan of. From uh, obviously Fargo and uh, Boogie Nights. Movie? Oh yeah, Boogie Nights. But there was an independent movie he did that came out around the same time as Magnolia. No, it's a little bit less remembered than that. That's why I can't re- fucking remember it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go down that rabbit hole because I have to mention this film because though I can't remember what it's called. When did I it remember, come out? It would have been around the same time. It probably would have been after fargo but not much further after where it's we'll okay see. he was in psycho i remember he was arbogast in psycho but that movie i have a complicated relationship with it he was in pleasantville jerry and tom 
was a movie that I completely forgot about until this moment, but it's not the one I was thinking of. Uh, what the hell was it called? Wow, maybe I skipped timelines again because I don't see anything that looks familiar. What the heck was it? Was Ghost of Mississippi. One? Yeah, he was Major Caldwell in Air Force One, apparently. Okay, obviously, I just I just looked at that, but like <laughs> Boogie Nights, Wag the Dog. Down Periscope, I I love him in Down, and also I think my first exposure to William H Macy was 1995's Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh yeah, you love you're the audience for that movie. I, I well I I was in 1995. My mom took me to the theater to see that movie. Fuck yeah, that 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 tracks. It seems like that that would definitely happen. I don't know what the fuck movie I'm thinking of. So I don't either, man. Record, I guess. But uh, I don't. I mean, know I know you're probably a big fan of Tall either, Tale. Man. Oleana, but I haven't seen that motherfucker in a long time, so I don't remember him being in it. No, actually, I do remember him being in Benny and June. I've never seen Benny and June. Should I see Benny and June? Oh, I don't know if it holds up. I'm not sure. It's it's a specific kind of movie that worked at a specific time, and I'm not sure if the sensibilities. I mean, I'm reading the. Uh, I'm 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 reading the. Uh, the the synopsis here the little the blurb on IMDb and I'm thinking maybe not I don't know it's a mentally ill young woman finds her love in an eccentric man who models himself after Buster Keaton this is where I found Buster Keaton was Benny and June seeing Benny okay. and June is what per, like introduced me to Buster Keaton so it definitely gets credit for that and I do really love this movie and it's i feel like it's kind of a 50 50 it's either going to work better now or it's going to fall flat hey listeners let us know uh how well does benny and june hold up disenfranchpod at gmail.com should i should steven watch benny and june that's the question for this for this week the whole deal is that mary stewart masterson i don't know if i'd call her mentally ill i would i would say she's probably on the spectrum they didn't have that word back then but she was definitely autistic Right. And Johnny Depp was probably a lower. His character was a little lower level. Maybe he was like, like Asperger's level. You know, mm-hmm. he was definitely on the spectrum, too. So I don't think this this description is very good, because I feel like if you're going to call her mentally ill. uh, Then you got to he's not just eccentric either. This dude is out there, man. He's at least. And I don't mean that in a bad way to anyone who's on the spectrum, but he's it's it's definitely obvious that he's somewhere on there. He's a little more high functioning than she is in in the regard of being able to, you know, live. Like, take care of themselves. Uh, But I'd I don't know if I agree with that, that uh, description. And I think you should see it. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you're looking at the cast, but uh, <laughs> I, I took a glance. Yeah, yeah, yeah I took dude. a glance. Yeah, it's uh, I'm gonna. You and know it's what? We should... it's directed by the guy who did um, Christmas Vacation. So yeah, you love that guy. Sure do. Guess, God, right? yeah. <laughs> Jeremiah S. Chechik, what a one oh, of my man. favorite oh. filmmakers of all time. Always talking about that guy. I can't get you to shut up about that dude. Like, geez, try and stop me. Stop talking about that, dude, for real. No, I think that you should watch it. I think that we should both watch it and do a, a disenfranchised at the movies Patreon special 
uh steven and tucker and brett if he's into it watch benny and june you know what we should do we should just do a commentary track on benny and june and you should but, do like all the research on like the movie and stuff, and then Brett and I watch it for the first time, and you can you know, hear us react live. Assuming Brett hasn't seen it, maybe he has. I don't know. You know, the only thing that has survived from that movie is the Johnny Depp's career somehow. Song. No, the Five Hundred Miles song, dude. That was oh for this from soundtrack. the Proclaimers. Yeah, dude. That was speaking for of this soundtrack. That speaking was the of songs, of this movie. Speaking of songs written specifically for soundtracks that no one remembers were written for that soundtrack specifically, this is the movie, not Shrek. This is the movie that gave us Smash Mouth's All-Star. And it's the only thing I will ever say negative about this film. It's the only thing I can never forgive this film for because Smash Mouth is music for people who hate music and possibly maybe even hate themselves. I don't know. It's just such garbage. I can't imagine any self-respecting person enjoying any moment of Smash Mouth. With an opinion like that, Tucker, you might as well be walking on the sun. That's all I got to say. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and the music video, like the, the cast of this movie is all over the music video. And do you know who directed oh, yeah. the music video, Tucker? Was it the... The it was, person, it was not Kinka it was Usher. not Kinka Usher. It was a director who went on to make many more films than Kinka Usher. This is Kinka Usher's only film. So we have now covered Jones? the entire filmography of Kinka Usher. No, it is a little filmmaker called Mick G. Oh, Mick G. I really Mick like G. those Charlie's Angels movies. And I really like Supernatural and like not for nothing hot take, but I thought Terminator Salvation was kind of the shit if you detach it from the rest of the series. We're going to cover it on this podcast one day. I have that. I bought that Blu-ray because I like that movie so much. Right. Oh, so you're the one. Okay. Not, not as part of the series, but as its own thing. Well, they were trying yeah, to make dude. it its own. It was basically going to be like a prequel spinoff and launch its Fucking own trilogy. A. Please. I yeah. wish they would have because I loved that movie. And then that lighting guy dropped the light in the, or walked through the back of Christian Bale's shot in the middle of a take and someone recorded his response and that movie did not survive. Look, look, Christian Bale needed a Snickers, man. That's all, man. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> you're not you, know, you when you're hungry, Christian Bale. And, you know, sometimes, especially on movies like that that are effects heavy and you're on location and stuff, you know, I'm not making excuses for the guy because he was an outright prick. In that, oh I no! That. He was an outright prick. I'm just saying, like we've all kind of been there. Probably. Well, and apparently the guy he's yelling at, like that was something that he just did. Like he just like no regard for the performances and the performers. Like just would. And as a performer, I'm like, dude, like you gotta you gotta give a little and take a little. And if if something's not right in the middle of the shot, you wait till the end of the take and then you fix it. You don't, you know, walk through the middle of a fucking take to go change a light because, oh, they can shoot it again. Like, particularly when it's something incredibly emotional like that. I, I get Bale's frustration. I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm also not saying I would have reacted any differently. But like, oof. I mean, yeah. on, on the spectrum of terrible things that uh, actors could do, like, you know, he's not sexually assaulting anyone so could do slash win. have done yeah big win big win <laughs> right it's, it's just a drop in the pool it's not that like like yeah i remember when like that was enough to spark a controversy now it's yeah now there are actual controversies that get buried somehow like it oh yeah. god i i hate it here <laughs> yeah. 
And with that, let's do the plot in 60. Boom, 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 boom. No, Mystery Men. No, I love Mystery Men. Let's do a little background on the property itself sure. before we yeah. launch in. So Mystery Men, as as you mentioned earlier, created by Bob Burden as uh, background characters in uh, Flaming Carrot Comics, published by Dark Horse Comics. Flaming Carrot was itself a parody of... by a lot of different comics companies, honestly. that, that At the time, it was Dark so Horse, but yeah. yeah. At the time, it was Dark Horse, which honestly, Dark Horse had a pretty good track record at the movies at this point. Well, they done um, Spawn at that point. No, that was Image, sorry. That's Image, yeah. Um, but you've got, no, the two that they had men in black in 97, but before that it was the mask in 94. Oh yeah. I have those trade paperbacks. The the Mm -hmm. three that are good, but like those were both based on dark horse comic. And so I gave in a very early episode, I think it was episode five of this pot. It was like our Constantine episode. I did like a run through of like the history of comic book movies up to like in and around the late nineties, early two thousands and kind of did like a breakdown of what comic book movies were like. And so 1999 is the wasteland. Like there is this three year period between 1997 and 2000 where comic book movies exist in this kind of nebulous wasteland between Batman forever and he who must not be named X-Men. Uh, George Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin, and he must not be named X Men. Well, I, mean, I would I would say Blade kind of started it. No, there are two. That was the that was there are the two movies that in that wasteland. Yeah, there are two movies in that wasteland, and it's Blade and it's this, pretty much. And Blade hits really well, becomes its own franchise. This one dies on the vine, and I think a big part of the reason why it does is that it is well i'm getting ahead of myself okay because i do want to go back like in the 80s two things happened that pretty much make comic book movies a, a hot hollywood commodity one 1987 the teenage mutant ninja turtles cartoon and just the rampant outright popularity of that property those action figures that merchandise that cartoon the film those films like it was it, it was, was everywhere ones- JK, continue. <laughs> sure. well, I think we talked about this last week, Tucker. Um, one and a half. There's one and a half. Second one's okay. Uh, and we talked about one even even later than that last week. Hmm. Um, I have no recollection. Convenient. Um, <laughs> but the um, but then in 1989 you get Tim Burton's Batman. So the, the late 80s are kind of this weird time for comic book movies. Um, the lesson that Hollywood learns from the Ninja Turtles, weirdly, is let's adapt indie comics specifically. So you get things like The Tick turning into a TV show, things like The, the Mask getting The Crow, like all this shit getting rushed out into production. Like that is the result of that. It's indie comics. And so a lot of those have like, become classics since then. They have. To be fair, but still continue. No, I, you're, you're and you're absolutely right. Um, but then the the lesson, weirdly, the lesson that Hollywood learns from Batman is, and I've talked about this on this podcast before, and I think it's the fucking weirdest thing, because I think I mentioned this on the Dick Tracy episode, aka the episode where I just talk for like 90 minutes while Brett occasionally chimes in. Um, <laughs> Hollywood's big lesson from Batman was, hey, let's take old pulp comics from like the 30s and 40s and let's make those into movies. Where How do you get that from Batman's success? 
Batman like was a newspaper strip in the 30s and 40s. I actually had when I was younger. A and look, I get that. So is edition of those Spider-Man. Sunday strips. Like so is Spider Man. So is a lot of them, but they're not comic strip characters. They are comic book characters. They started out that way. They endure that way. The but strips I think have always been a side thing that aren't even part of the main continuity. That's just such a weird take. The for, Joker for the appears in the strips. Well, I believe that, and I think I actually knew that. But it doesn't um, fucking matter, man. But here's the thing. It's it's all of these Hollywood executives who in the late 80s, early 90s grew up in the 40s and 50s. And so they're looking back at all the things that they loved about comics when they were a kid and saying, well, this is what the kids are into now. So that's why yeah. we get Dick Tracy and the shadow and the phantom and like know, that's why that's why all the shit from when I was a kid is just like being farted out because people my age are in charge of everything and it fucking sucks. Exactly. No, I mean it's it's a cyclical nostalgia cycle is really what it is. Like I'm waiting for the kid that was really into Dick Tracy to call up Warren Beatty and try to get another one of those motherfuckers made. Let's do it. I'm into it. Well, he you know what Warren Beatty does? And he did it like a couple years ago too. Every time the rights to Dick Tracy are about to leave, he'll make like a special or something with Dick Tracy in it to try to like re-up the rights. And it works every yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. time. So yeah, he like did, the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. You keep the rights by putting something out there, even if it doesn't fucking go out there at all. Even if it's he, a tax write-off, you did they're, it. But they're they're but they're TV special. He does them as TV specials. The cinematographer for the first one is fucking three-time Academy Award-winning cinematographer Emmanuel Lubetsky. And I might even know that name. It's Warren Beatty and Leonard Maltin sitting at a table. Warren Beatty in character as Dick Tracy. Yeah. And Leonard Maltin sitting at a table talking about the legacy of Dick Tracy, the character. And Dick Tracy's talking about him as though he was the actual person all this is based on. There's yeah. this whole bit that he does like you you look great for your age. How have you aged so well? And he's like, Can I get can I tell you a secret? It's pomegranates. And he does like five <laughs> he does like a tight five on pomegranates, and it's fucking weird. It's on YouTube. Like the, you can go watch it. Like go watch it's, it. It's bizarre. Very similar to the the writer of Buckaroo Bonsai. Mm-hmm. How he how he treats that shit. That's why yep. I do want to see that now, just for that connection, because I think that's it's great when people kind of buy into the mythos of their own fiction and sort of just present that as truth. But even though we know all know it's bullshit, like it's still really cool to see and like really fun to be a part of. But he did it again, like just, just like a year or two ago, like he did it again and it was all over zoom because of pandemic restrictions and shit. But it's, again, it's the same kind of thing. It's him and fucking Leonard Malton, but again, him in character as, as Dick Tracy. And I think at one point there's a three way call between him as Dick Tracy Leonard Malton and then the actor Warren Beatty at one oh, point. Wow. Like it's That's it's fun. Fucking insane. Like get go Al Pacino in there and you'll just have like you'd be good. Are <laughs> you you'd have to send fucking makeup artists to make him up like Big Boy Caprice. Um God, though that I love Dick Tracy. Like that movie is amazing. But like it it boggles my mind that that was Hollywood's takeaway. But so so this is part of that like indie comic. This is, I think, the last gasp of that like indie comic boom, because the comic book genre is essentially dead in 97. Like and what this movie does and it does it by a casting a director who is very much a part of like who who does commercials specific like he is 
a commercial. He was a commercial guy to start with. He does this movie, hates it so fucking much. He goes right back to before the production's even over. He's like, I'm going back to commercials. Fuck it. Yeah. I don't care. I hate this so much. Um, go And he's still a very successful commercial director to this day. He's the got milk guy. And he's also the, the Taco Bell Chihuahua guy. He is. He is the guy that the reason we Kiro Taco Bell is because of Kinka Usher. Can I tell the, you uh, all the of reason my Viva Gorditas happened is because of Kinka Usher. All of my coworkers are like half my age. Mm-hmm. I work at a campground, so mm-hmm. like, I'm pretty much the only adult there at any given time. Yeah, it makes um, sense. They're yeah. all like, they're all like half my age, and I had to explain to them what the Taco Bell Chihuahua was. I had to pull up the commercial on YouTube. I'm like, you know, you care Taco Bell. They're like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, dude. No, dude, they were in they were infants if they existed at all when those commercials were out. Yes, yes. You know what I, I remember? Have tattoos older than some of my coworkers. I believe that. You know what I remember right is here. going to fucking Taco Bell, getting the gorditas, and getting myself a big ass glass of Fruitopia. Yeah, dude. Oh, I miss Fruitopia. There is no more like late nineties, early two thousands bullshit than Taco Bell, like getting the the Baja Gordita. And a fucking glass of Fruitopia. Like, that was the shit. Thank you, Kinka Usher. I still get down on a cheesy gordita crunch from time to time. Of course, I replaced the beef with potatoes, and it's not as bad as it sounds. Actually, it's really good. That doesn't sound too bad, actually. It's real good. But yeah, um, so, so, but this is the Mystery Man is kind of the last vestige, and it is the parody. And generally, generally speaking, this is not always the case, but generally speaking, once the parody hits, the genre is dead. It's got to be. Where else can you go from there? Ex- well, exactly. Nowadays, that's not true because Deadpool is absolutely a parody of comic book movies. And that genre shows absolutely no sign of slowing down. Like, it's all we watch these days. Like, it's fucking insane. Yeah, um, it kind of seeps into, like, the regular comic book movies. Exactly. Like it's just one of the others. Right. But like this was this was seen in a lot of ways as the death knell of the comic book movie. And then the very next year, he who must not be named decides to make X-Men and it 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 kind of relaunched. And then two years later, you get Spider-Man and we're back to the races. Like it's a slow start. It's, It's like a sputtering start. You get it's Blade, Sputter, Sputter, Mystery Men, Clunk, X-Men. Ooh, Spider-Man. Ah, and then even the Hulk can't bring it down. And then you're just boom, 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 boom. And it just keeps like, I think there were a few, I think the early two thousands are a rough time for comic book movies because there's some real gems in there though. There are, I subscribe. And, and again, this is something that I, this is a term that I've coined based on something I read that Neil Gaiman said once called the Gaiman principle, where he basically says the truer you are to the source material that you're, that you're adapting, the more, um, accepted your 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 film will be your adaptation will be um and this movie is not faithful to the comics at all in fact i think a lot of those early 2000s movies weren't and i think that's where there's problems well i mean that is a problem but i think the ones that hit and specifically mystery men um is that a good adaptation no matter what it does it has to it has to present the same tone. It's just like he who it's shall not be named X Men. 
Yes. Like, you don't have the costumes, you know, there's not a big world of superheroes, you know, several things have changed because it's a different media. Mm -hmm. But it stays true to the tone. And I think I that's what Mystery Men gets so well. Because I read Flaming Carrot comics uh, back in the day, and I've read some of the trades since then. And like, despite the the wildly fluctuating comedic styles in this film, it still does stick to the basic tone of the comic about yeah. blue collar guys that they're not the best superheroes. They've got like mid level powers or no level no powers at all. Right. They're and they're fighting guys, and they're doing it because that they feel like that's what they need to do. So I think it does actually uh, stay true to the tone and the original intent of the comic. Yeah, I should rephrase. It's not true to the letter of the comic. Very not true to the, to the letter, but very oh, true to all. the spirit yeah. of the comic. Like there are only, from what I understand, there are only three characters in the movie that appear in the comics and they're all very different. It's with the, the exception. The, sorry, go ahead. No, it's the shoveler, it's Mr. Furious, and it's the spleen. Yes. And then you have a fourth that was never part of the Mystery Men. But the Sphinx was an old comic book character in the 30s and 40s. Right. And the company that owned the rights to the Sphinx went defunct in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And he became public domain. And that's why he's in this motherfucking movie. And good friend, there is the character of the never in Mr. Yeah, no, 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 you know, because there's so much to say. And that's just it. That's the problem, right? Like there's so much to say. And we both love this movie so much that it's this is pretty much going to be us fighting pretty much this whole fucking episode. I'm going to do my best even. I'm trying so hard. I am also going to try. I'm probably going to fail so much. Hey, if you're with each other, if you get pissed off about podcast hosts talking over one another this might not be the episode for you guys honestly this might not be the podcast for you but please stick around we love you and we love your downloads please and thank you um but the um you're right no and and i i had i had read that that had come up in my, in my research for this episode another thing the invisible boy was all he did not appear in the comic but he was created by bob burden it was a drunken joke at a hollywood party Oh yes, that the yes. producers heard and liked so much they just included it in the movie. Like yes, I don't based know, based on a drunken sentence fragment by is what the credit should have read. Yes, should have absolutely. read. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like the bowler and the blue raja and like uh, you said it wrong. It's the blue raja. The blue raja. Granted, I don't wear much blue, and <laughs> I speak in an English accent. But if you know your history, it really does make sense. The point is, your son's a limey fork thing, a mother hard cheese to swallow, but there it is. What will the bridge cop say? God, yes, I his, love this movie. His, his monologue on colonialism is especially wild. No, Dad, he is neither a commie nor a fruit. <laughs> Honestly, I think you could do a queer reading of this film through the Blue Raja, because that scene where his mom finds him pilfering the silverware reads like a coming out scene. It oh, reads yeah, like a guy. It's, and it she, is it, the best case scenario coming out scene, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. It is. And, and even the thing she says where I was saving these for your wedding, but from the looks of things, that's a long way off. Like gay marriage was not a thing in 1999. Like yep. you could you could absolutely do a queer reading of this movie. And I think that's really again, that that's really smart and really sharp and really fun uh, that well, you, and can, even you can have the, shit like that in this movie. 
even some of the criminal gangs are a bit queer coded, I'd say. The fact that you've got Susie Izzard as as the lead of the Disco Boys the is Disco Boys. And and Their she Amer- does is, is, okay. Her American accent in that is I've never heard, I've never heard her speaking anything but you know that natural British mm-hmm. and it's spot on. That's why for years I didn't even know that was her. Yeah. For years. And she she does an almost pitch perfect recreation of John Travolta's Saturday Night Fever dance uh to to the Bee Gees um in in that early scene and it's so fucking good like she is she is my favorite stand up i have gone on record so many times as saying that Susie Izzard is my favorite she's actually coming to chicago in october and i am like if Shit. i had if i had money in my bank account right now i would be buying tickets for Wait my partner what? and i to go see her when in october let me let, let's let me google this is everyone's I favorite part see- of the show Stephen Googling well, can, shit in real time. I can explain the context of my question while you Google it. Um, the camping season here where I live and work ends the second week of October. Pretty um, much any time between then and the starting of the season in May, I can take a vacation and come to Indy or Chicago or whatever. Monday, October 2nd. Fuck you, man. Well, damn it. I'll, I'll I'll get you some tickets for your birthday or something too. I mean, yeah, my bro- I'm gonna see if she's coming to New England anytime. Um, like Atlanta, Tennessee, to, North Carolina. It's hard to get anybody to come up here outside of Boston, and I just really don't. I was gonna say she's to be in Boston. She's gonna be in Medford uh, on September 16th and 17th. Like, I'd much. Rather it looks be like that's the closest she's gonna come. Yeah. Which is weird because Chicago is is arguably a rougher city than Boston. I don't know. In some ways, they're about the same. It depends on it, who you ask. I was gonna say it, it's so much more. I feel much so much more comfortable in Chicago. I think just because I've been there so many times over the years. I grew up like three hours away. Right. Yeah. We both did. Yeah. I mean, it and is. I, it's. It's the nearest big city to where we grew up. Right. So. Well, I've had friends like that I've met over the years that live there. So I'm constantly visiting there and hanging out with friends and stuff. Yeah, well, and Chicago one one of the reasons, there, I, I guess, no, yeah, I I get it. Like, I've it's, never even driven through Boston. It just scares me because of what I've seen on TV, man. I've been to Boston a couple yeah. times. I yeah. I I I have I have one of my very best friends lives in Boston. Um, People tell it, me I need to see the cemeteries down there because apparently they're fucking wild. The New England cemeteries are honestly, I if well, you the go ones to, up here, go ahead. We're doing it again. We're not even we're talking about mystery again. men. God, Sorry, what is go our ahead. problem? No, the ones in Salem, Mass, are really incredible. Um, oh, word, I'll bet. I, I, my, my ex and I went to Massachusetts all the time. Like we, we loved it up there, all the time. We went twice, but still, like we you would, know, and BGs, we would, yeah, we would, we would stop in Boston to visit friends, and then we'd head out to the Cape, and then on the way to the Cape, we'd stop it. We'd go like an hour out of our way and go to Salem, and Salem's so it's very tourist heavy, but very cool. Um, Apparently October is the time you need to go, but like there are a couple friends of the show that live up in up in Massachusetts, up Massachusetts way. Which had I started the show the last time I visited, I would have probably looked them up. But friend of the show Mike Snoonian and friend of the show Cat Scully are both hey. Massachusetts residents. So, um, and I know Cat usually hits the Salem Horror Fest in October to like peddle her her art and her books. So. Uh, absolutely need to get up there sometime in October to, to see her and, and get like my, my Halloween Salem fix. But yeah, 
Stevens going back to Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, thank but you. Yeah. Thank you. I'll be here all but week. No, one of the one of the reasons I was kind of bummed our guest wasn't able to join us tonight is our guest is the person who introduced me to Susie Izzard. Oh no. So like I was looking you know, forward. We might, if we can get a hold of them to come in at some other time, we might do like a Patreon something or maybe a special episode or something where we just kind of talk to them about this movie and just kind of let them go on about it. Yeah. Maybe, that's that's yeah. a unique perspective, you know, like that's, that's a whole, you, you got history with that. Yeah, absolutely. That's like she had seen, or um, he had seen her do dress to kill when he was like in high school and was like, do you know Dress to Kill? You need to see Dress to Kill and introduced me to Dress to Kill. And I was like, fuck, this is amazing. Like, well, this is so funny. Like, that's the one you show people. Like, yeah. Out of all of them, I think that's the most accessible. For sure. And so many of them are are on streaming right now. Like, so many of her specials are on streaming right now that I'm like, and so many that I haven't seen because I stopped watching around Circle or Sexy. So I'm yeah. like, oh, I need to go back and like watch all of these that she's done in like the last 15 years that I haven't caught. Like, yeah. Like yeah, I I'm I'm a huge huge Susie Izzard fan. Love her to death. Um, would would love to see her when she is in Chicago in October. Um, but yeah, God. Um, and and this is probably the first movie that I think I saw that she was in, and of course did not realize that she was a stand up. And I think it was Dan who said, "Oh, you know, no, it's 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 one of the Disco Boys." And I was like, "Wait, really?" And then I I. I watched the the stand up and I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's her. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I have a similar uh, reveal for someone I didn't realize it was them in this movie. I didn't realize Artie Lang was in this movie. Yeah, I've seen this movie probably I don't want to say a hundred times, but probably somewhere around sixty to seventy five times I've seen this movie in my lifetime since yeah. it came out. And until this viewing, mm-hmm. I had no idea that he's the the bad guy at the beginning in the opening big scene, red. right? He's the leader of the red I had no yeah. idea. And I can spot I mean, an Artie Lang from a mile away. The voice is How what gave I it away to this? me. Yeah, like the voice is what gave it away to me. Um, But like, I mean, half his face is covered and he's got those giant goggles like with the red glowing in them that had to have been fucking so uncomfortable as fuck to wear. And I know Artie Lang talks a lot about all the shitty movies that he's done. And I think this is the one that he's like, is probably the worst one. Um, he was great in Dirty Work, though, with Norm MacDonald. But anyway. Haven't seen that one either. You should. It's great. In a Fair 90s enough. raunchy comedy kind of way. Right. In yeah, a Fairly Brothers kind of way. Speaking of a genre that has not aged particularly well. Right, it doesn't. But some of them, you know, are have a lot less offensive stuff in them than others that they still got to hold up. Yeah, I've I've I was I, half baked was another one that a lot of my friends really liked when I was in high school. Oh, I liked that movie too. But yeah, I, 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 it's probably been about ten years since I've seen that. I'm not sure if it's still it held, it held up ten years ago, but I'm not sure if it is now. Well, and Dave Chappelle being a an outspoken turf is kind of a, an unfortunate turn of uh, turn of events. But yeah, yeah I, Dave. I, I'm not sure Jim Brewer's politics are particularly oh, great either. No, fuck Jim Brewer. I never even gave a fuck about Jim Brewer though. But me and Dave. No, you know what? Like, no one did. Right. <laughs> it, it, Jim it, Brewer it began me, and ended with Goat Boy. <laughs> it all, oh, but Goat Boy was the shit though. For for 
mid nineties SNL. Oh boy, was wearing it. You got mango up in that mug too. I hated mango. Like, I did not get hated mango. mango. I did not like mango. Such as mango. Can you I hold a moonbeam in your hand? No. Such as with mango. I didn't get it. Like it just it didn't But with John Goodman and David Duchovny. I know, I saw that one. I didn't I was just like this is right going right over my head. Another no. an, another Chris Kattan character that I just did not care for, Mr. Peepers. Did not like I, Mr. Peepers. I feel like I feel like there's a 50-50 split between the population of people who uh for them Chris Kattan really slaps. And for the other half, it's just, they just it's not you might be in the other half. You might be in the latter half. You know what I do like Chris Kattan in though? Monkey future bone? future episode of this podcast, Monkey Bone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. He, he we are a hundred percent gonna cover monkey bone on this podcast one day. Well, I mean, that's great because it's on my voodoo, so we can all watch it for relatively free. I paid for it at one point, but it's paid right. for itself by now because I've watched it several times. So. Uh, I mean, you, we could have done, had we not already done Who Framed Roger Rabbit, we could have done a really cool mini series of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Cool World, and Monkey Bone. Like that animated world inhabited by real people trilogy that came out in the late 80s, early 90s. I could. I, I've seen Cool World as well. I haven't seen it since it came out. I didn't really. Cool like World it is bad. Cool World is very. I watched it during the pandemic. But it's your Brad God. Pitt. It oh, it is Brad Pitt, but it is not. It, it's not Brad Pitt dialed in. It's also Gabriel Byrne, who I love, and Kim Kim Basinger, like from LA Confidential. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, she voices the the character lady, and then plays her in real life. Like it's Holly Hollywood, is the character's name. Which oof, uh, big she damn definitely oof! Definitely would. Mm-hmm. That's that's the joke, and and literally that is the class of joke that you're getting from Cool World. Like Cool World was supposed to be the adult Roger Rabbit, and it it doesn't work in my mind. It just doesn't. You know, there's one Chris Kattan performance I want to uh, speak about before we move on in this unrelated Mystery Men episode. Chris Kattan, um, who is not a part of the cast of Mystery Men. not in this movie. And, no. And you might not even be able to six degrees him, honestly. Like, you could try, but I don't know how easy that would be. I could six degrees uh, him, but yeah. I believe you. Um, I think Chris Kattan's... Uh, his peak performance of his career and I support him in all of his roles and I have enjoyed in him in most of his roles. And I think the main problem is that nobody knows how to write well for him. Mm-hmm. But the people who wrote undercover brother, they another knew, movie I've not seen. They knew what Chris Kattan was all about. Undercover brother would be a wonderful double feature with Pootie Tang. Unfortunately, we can't, we can't cover it on the main feed here because it got a sequel it did get a sequel right i refuse to watch also dave Chappelle in this movie as well as as a revolutionary brother revolutionary brother yeah um uh denise denise uh denise richards Richards is in undercover brother as a white she devil oh my god steven this movie's great you gotta see undercover brother dude i wish we could cover it but that fucking stupid ass sequel that i will not watch with michael jai white though michael jai white though i don't care i mean i do care but also i don't care uh there's a story that griffin newman from the blank check podcast tells about when he met neil patrick harris and says i really loved you an undercover brother 
He and, was great in Undercover Brother. That was, oh, he was so wholesome in that. It's like the sweetest boy. And apparently Neil Patrick Harris just looks at him and goes, that one? Yes. <laughs> yes. To which Griffin was like, fuck you, dude. That, you were great in that movie. How dare you? Yo, yo, Harris was the bomb. In Undercover, in Undercover Brother, Brother, though. Yeah, dude. Harris, uh, you're the bomb in Undercover Brother, yo. And, you know, it's only it's a few years uh, removed, but I feel like this tangent does belong on this podcast because it is kind of a, a superhero movie in that same era. It's going for a much more black exploitation tip on it, but it is kind of I could see that being a comic adaptation of some sort, even though it wasn't I well, see it my, being in kind of the same genre. In my research, I came across a comparison between this movie and another 19 19- uh, late 90s parody movie that really did actually hit big, which was Austin Powers. And Undercover Brother is really doing what Austin Powers was doing, but for black exploitation films. Yeah. I, I mean, kind of, kind of, in a way, in a way. Right. You know, the most, the most interesting thing um, about my love for this movie is that it comes from the most unlikely source of, uh, past and future guest and friend of everyone on the podcast, J.P. Leck. Love that guy. Introduced me, introduced me to Undercover Brother. Now, you know J.P. Leck. I do. And and you're looking right here at Undercover Brother. Does that, does that look like a combination that you would naturally think was nope. going to happen? This man introduced me to this shit. But here's the thing. I know I know his brother pretty well. Uh, and also, his wife. His wife. Right. Yeah. Past and future guest of the show, Samuel Dumas. Um, but, like, I know... I know that they grew up on a lot of like seventies TV, like the black exploitation Kung Fu shit. Like they were in to that. So yeah. I guess that, that it surprises me, but at the same time I get it. Like I, I kind of get it also. So yeah, he's, he's kind of surrounded by people who have the sensibilities that uh, attract this film. Yeah. So sure. it does make sense, but still definitely a curveball. Yeah, when if you think about it for more than like 20 seconds, it, it makes sense. But in but yeah. for those first 20 seconds, you're very confused. Like, wait a minute. Love you, Joseph. Um Yeah. He's he'll be he'll be on very soon. Hint hint, wait, very, wait, nudge, very nudge. Soon. Very, very soon. Very soon. Unless he um, gets detention, and then I don't know if he'll be able to make it, if I'm being honest. Um Tucker, let's talk more about Mystery Men because I fucking love this movie and I can't believe we've we've gone almost an hour into this podcast and have talked so little about the movie we're actually supposed to be talking about. Do you think we should do the plot? The the Canadian Quarter of Indifference? Let's do it. I've got it ready. I got the moves right there. I see ya. Eh? Uh, So yes, let's do the plot in 60 seconds. For those of you just joining us for the Mystery Men episode, hi, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, but also the plot in 60 is a part of the show to plop in on right welcome normally you're like i don't know why you're here because this movie sucks but not this time not this time man (laughs) this movie fucking rules and i'm glad you're here but look man if look if you're here for this episode and this is your first episode then clearly you are a person of exquisite taste and we welcome you to this podcast and also buckle up buckle the fuck up and and check out our back journey Check out our back catalog too, because there's some good shit back there. Um, we've we've covered oh, we're, what are we like almost 150 movies in now. Uh, this this episode is episode 146. So yeah, 
uh, we've we've covered a lot of ground on this podcast over the years, and so um, for that reason, we are uh, happy to do this. Is our 146th plot in 60 seconds. Uh, this is the part of the show where we recount the plot of the movie we're watching. In this case, King of Usher's 1999 film Mystery Men in 60 seconds or less. And to decide which of us will be doing that, either Tucker or myself, we will flip what is known as the Canadian Quarter of Indifference. Tucker has that queued up. The queen is heads. The moose is tails. Uh, Tucker will flip. I will call. And based on that call, it will determine which of us will be recounting the plot of 1999's Mystery Man Tucker. Take it away. Call it in the air. Here it goes. Tails. It is heads. <laughs> Honestly, either way, I win. Because uh, if I if if it's if it's heads, I get to talk about Mystery Men some more. So, yeah, go ahead and put six seconds on the clock, my friend, and I will recount the plot of 1999's Mystery Men. Uh, I will start the clock when you start, and of course, I will give you the 30-second and 10-second warnings. Thank you very much, sir. You have to start talking for me to... The Red Eyes break into a nursing home and start stealing a bunch of shit. Uh, The mystery men come to stop them. The Shoveler, Mr. Furious, the Blue Raja, and they get their asses kicked until they're saved by Captain Amazing, the, the champion of Champion City. Uh, who is mad because all of his villains are pretty much put away. Uh, and so he, as, in his alter ego, as billionaire Lance Hunt, breaks out the uh, criminally insane Casanova Frankenstein, played by Jeffrey Rush, from the mental hospital where he is. He then proceeds to, upon being free, blow up the mental hospital and then build the psychofraculator. He kidnaps Captain Amazing. Uh, and then the mystery men, um, they recruit. They get a few more members. Uh, they end up killing Captain Amazing. And then they go back. Uh, with a Herkimer battle jitney and using the power of teamwork and the sword of the hammer of not bickering, they end up striking down and all of the foes that uh, Casanova Frankenstein has gathered together. Uh, they chuck him into the fraculator and then come out to meet their adoring public and win one for and the little guy. How do I get it to stop? You push the time. button. I did push the button, but then everything just disappeared. I don't want to get fraculated, fraculated, psycho fraculated, still fraculated. Yeah. God, I love this movie so much. I I am always amazed at how quotable this movie is. And it is so incredibly calcu- uh, like quotable. Like I love it. I love it. Some, and I will tell you two things about this movie. This movie has one of my all-time favorite jokes in film history where he is talking to his publicist played by Ricky Jay the great Ricky J like I, we could probably spend two hours just talking about the cast of this movie and how insanely stacked this cast is and how they got most of them for a song because no one knew who the fuck these people were in 1999. Like it's amazing. Like Ben Stiller is probably your, and William H. Macy are probably your biggest names in this movie. And they're both indie guys like madness. Like, and now they're fucking huge, like Academy Award nominated, like insane. Like it's it's mad how this movie is insane to me. Um, what was I saying? You were saying the cast is rad. Uh, you're talking about Ricky J. Ricky J. Um, when he's talking to his publicist, Ricky J. 
um, who a magician, Ricky J, who at one point says I'm a publicist, not a magician. Ha ha ha. Funny. Um, he says he's talking to Ricky J about how frustrated he is that he doesn't have any good villains anymore. He goes, I don't know, get death man. And Ricky J just very deadpan goes, death man is dead. Um, that is one of my favorite throwaway jokes in film. I love it so much. Death man is dead. Like I love that is, that is a great line that like the, just the construction of that line is perfect. I love it so much. And then Greg Kinnear's delivery of, Oh dang. Right. Right. When he gets chloroformed by Casanova Frankenstein is maybe my favorite line reading ever. Like his delivery of that is perfect. I love it so much. There's the perfect amount of Greg Kinnear silliness in this movie. And if there I were any love, more, it would have been too much. Had there been less, it would not have been enough. I love when Greg Kinnear gets now. a little bit silly. He's good. and this like, character, it's this character. Like, bring your appetite if you're mm-hmm. Greg Kinnear, because you're gonna eat this shit up. And Gre- the the Captain Amazing role is the stand-in for the Flaming Carrot because CGI is a relatively new thing, and they're like, there's no way we can fucking do this on screen yeah. in 1999. Yeah, I get that. I would have liked to seen the Flaming Carrot, but I get it. I think if they'd have done a sequel, we probably would have, honestly. I think we would have seen The Flaming Carrot if there had been a sequel. Um, But but Greg Kinnear's Captain Amazing is the stand-in for The Flaming Carrot. And he is is Superman. I love the riff on the Superman-Clark Kent thing, where it's so obvious... And yet everyone is completely ignoring it. Like he wears Lance wears glasses. <laughs> he, how would he see? Are you kidding me? He takes them off when he transforms. That's insane. How would he see? And then he's like holding up the like the two the two like circles and like holding them up in front of his face and going, Do you know Lance Hunt? Yeah, it's me. Really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Like you're just like, oh my God, how stupid is this man? And it's so good. Like it's so funny. It is good. There's a lot of there's a lot of good comedy in this, but I think for me the best running joke that just that never leaves the film. It's a joke <clears throat> that is presented at a certain time, and then it stays with you for the rest of the film. And it's when um, when Mister Furious is talking to the Sphinx and like calling him out for how like shitty his philosophical speak is. And so every time he does it from that point on, you're still laughing. Mm-hmm. Like when he's like, but until you master your rage. Your rage will become your master. That's what you're <laughs> going to say, right? Right, right. <laughs> Not necessarily. And motherfucking Wes Studi. Can I just give some love to the great, the amazing Wes Studi? Like that guy. He was is, popping around then, dude. He was in everything around that he, time. Okay. So he is in one of my all time favorite movies ever. Uh, Michael Mann's Heat. Oh yeah, yeah, he is. I I fucking love him in that movie, and and honestly, he does a couple Michael Mann films because he's Academy Award nominated for Last of the Mohicans, uh, which is a Michael Mann film. He's also in, uh, he's in Avatar too, like one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Um, and he's but, the weird naked Native American in the Doors movie. Yes, he is in ninety one. So ninety one. So nineteen ninety, he does Dances with Wolves. Um, my least favorite actor, Kevin Costner's Dances with Wolves. He does Indian in the Desert in The Doors in 91. Last of the Mohicans in 92. 93, he's in Walter Hill's Geronimo and American Legend. 94, I forgot he was in this. He's in, he's Sagat in Street Fighter in yeah, 1994. Dude, yeah. 
He's um, on like Tiger Flame. Yeah. 95, he does Michael Mann's Heat. 96, he's in Crazy Horse. 97, he does The Killing Jar, which I don't know. 98, future episode of this podcast, Deep Rising. I was going to say, you better not skip Deep Rising. No, dude, we're going to cover Deep Rising one of these days. I can't wait. I might have a guest for that. But yeah. Okay, right on. I've, I've been waiting for you to bring in some guests. You've, you you know some great people. I want to I get them on. Um. But and then and then in 99, of course, we have Mystery Men. But no, you're absolutely right. Like West Studi is popping. And I and he is one of the Native American First Nations actors who has done so much to advance the negative Hollywood stereotypes surrounding Native actors for so long. Like he's he's in Reservation Dogs. He's in I was going to say, I think that's why it's very it's very uh it it makes sense that he's in Reservation Dogs because that's yeah. kind of what that show is all about. Him and um, uh, I want to say Graham Greene is another one who is who is very much like again another another First Nations actor who is just again also in Dances with Wolves. Um, he was in previous episode of this podcast Maverick. Uh, also in Reservation Dogs, just an insanely great actor um, who happens to be a First Nations actor and is, again, does so much to advance that group and that cause. And it, I, 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 God, I love, I love both of those actors so much. And I, this is my first exposure to Wes Studi. And then after that, I just started seeing him everywhere. And I, God, I love Wes Studi so much. Yeah, he pops up all over the place. Fucking a cat. And every time I see him, I am so happy to see west duty like i am never not excited for some west duty action in my life like i fucking and and he is one of the him and like william h macy and jeffrey rush add such a level of gravitas to what is a deeply silly movie and you yeah, can tell absolutely. jeffrey rush is having a ball in this movie yeah. He kills like, it in this movie. He's, he's having, way into it. If you don't think Jeffrey Rush is having a good time, just watch the look on his face when he is fighting Ben Stiller with his pinky <laughs> at the end of this fucking movie. It is, he is having the time of his fucking life. And honestly, yes, Casanova's Frankenstein is a lateral move to Captain Barbosa in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Like that is a lateral fucking move. Bigger paycheck, but yeah. Yeah. No, oh, 100% bigger paycheck, but like, but in terms of like performance, that is a lateral yeah. move. Like he is being, yeah, yeah. he is going so huge and over the top in both of those. And honestly, that is a fun mode for Jeffrey Rush. I like, he may not be a great person in real life. Uh, he's, he's been accused of some shit. Um, and I tend to prefer to believe the victims on that shit rather than the courts, but do with that what you will. But he is... God, I he he when he is going big like that, I I love it. I have I'm having a good time. Well, I think even when he's not going big and other things that he's in, he he always knows what kind of film he's in. And you I never think... you never catch Jeffrey Rush phoning it in mm-hmm. or misinterpreting the tone of a film. Like he's he, he always knows exactly what movie he's in. He understands the assignment, as the kids used mm-hmm. to say. Like that, and that is absolutely the mode that he exists in here. Like he knows what movie he's in. And apparently he, along with like some of the comedians and the guys, he's, he's up there improvising like the scene with the mobs, uh, with all the mobs kind of gathered around the table where, um, 
Michael Bay was in that scene and Jeffrey Rush started improvising. Can we bring the brewskis? Dude, can <laughs> we bring the brewskis? Yes, of course. You most, most certainly bring the brewskis. Um, like, Michael Bay's in that scene and Michael Bay hated being in this movie. Like, Jeffrey Rush started improvising and he said his line at the wrong time and then called Cut himself, forgetting that he was not the director. <laughs> He's like, shit, Cut, I fucked that up. That tracks. And then like Kinka Usher was like getting in his face with like a lens, like with a with a a camera lens, and Michael Bay's like, you cannot be that close to me with that shitty fucking lens. Like <laughs> and then he just he was like not prepared for how long actors would have to like wait in their trailers while a shot a shot yeah. was set up. So he was like bored out of his mind. So he's like, when I when it was like there's nothing in the fridge, there's like no sheet on the bed. I'm like bored out of my mind. So now on my movies, anytime, like anytime I have a trailer, it's going to be a stock fridge and video games and copies of all my movies, which I mean, we could probably pick some better movies, but okay. It's something man, like good for him, you know? Right. Pretty cool. But, and I, there's no real like way that like, there's nothing really documented about why Michael Bay's in this movie, but I assume, because Bay got his starting commercials too. Like yeah. they did the Aaron, the infamous Aaron Burr got milk commercial. So yeah, like, I'm sure, I'm sure they were perfect. And, and this, pals. this was the time when commercial directors were like getting work in Hollywood. Like 99 was kind of the summer of the commercial filmmaker. And you've also got like Michael Bay, David Fincher are the two big ones that kind of made it out of there. Yeah. But like the guy who directed commercials and music videos around that time. For sure. Exactly. Um, like it used to be like those guys would have to like come to Hollywood and like really pitch a script hard. Now people are like knocking down their doors going, please, please make our movie. And there's a certain sensibility in it. It particularly with them, like a Michael Bay movie. And I've, I've heard this observation, but this is not an original observation of mine, but a Michael Bay movie is shot. Like every shot is the most important shot in the movie. And that is 100% the vibe I get from here because the way everything is lit in this movie, the way everything is framed in this movie, you get the fucking Dutch angles out the wazoo in this movie. Like yeah. it is – everything is the most dynamic, the most important, the most insane shot you can possibly do. And it makes for a really interesting and engaging film. I can see how it might give someone motion sickness, but it like makes the film like really dynamic and interesting in a very – very incredible way. And I think if Usher had enjoyed this more, and I think if there had been like more, if he had had more of a desire to do this, I'm interested to see and what filmmaker made what kind money. Of, I, I'm anxious to see what kind of filmmaker he would have become had the circumstances yeah, been different. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I really like the, the production design in this too. I read that they used some of the sets from Batman forever and I've always kind of equated these two movies. It'd be a great double feature, honestly. Yeah, it would. You well, know? I think in terms of st like stylistically, that's one of the things that this movie is parroting. Or parroting is I the Schumacher that Batman 90s, films. That '90s future, yes, of it. You know what I mean? The fact that this is a, a city that is like exists in every country in the world simultaneously. Like you've got the Cyrillic letters on the diner sign. You've got like the Japanese like costuming on Claire Forlani's character at one point. Like it, it this place, this the city is everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. And it's kind of great like, for that. Yeah. 
Like, yeah. yeah. And uh, Casanova Frankenstein's castle is the mansion from Casper. Like, it's the yeah. same set. Like, they just use these sets from these earlier 90s films. And I think it works really well for what this film is trying to do. Like, it sets it apart aesthetically in a way that's really interesting. Like, they're not going for boring sets. They're really trying something fast. And, and CGI is not progressed enough to where you can get away with doing this on a, a on a big digital backdrop like most movies are set today yeah. like you get a parking lot in georgia and just put up a bunch of green screens and then that's your movie like yeah. you actually had to like find locations and sets cool. and i love that that's not to say that there's there's anything wrong with that when done right and i think the original sin city is, is proof positive of that mm. um but no it, it is nice to see the physical uh sets and everything the actual locations but then um, CGI being a part of it. And CGI, right. I think, at that time was kind of in kind of the beginning mm -hmm. of that. It was sort of, you know, CGI kind of, kind of became a thing in the early 90s. And you, you can tell based the, on the digital the effects here. World and, yeah. and then it kind of peaked with Jurassic Park, and then it just kind of got shitty for a while. But I think much like uh, your, your 70s and 80s horror films that had super low budgets, uh, and sometimes the low budgets actually worked for the films. Mm -hmm. the same with the CGI in this movie. I think because of the tone of this film, I think because of the production design and the way that this film is shot, the CGI, even though it doesn't age well, it age, ages fucking perfectly. Because it, right. fits, it fits this film. Even though it's not good CGI. It's not. It at all. this like, movie. It, it works for this movie. Anytime something is getting cyclofraculated in this movie, it is very obvious that it is very bad CGI. And But by the same token, it absolutely... Like, and when you're doing that push, all the pushes through Champion City are very clearly like CD, CGI models. And you're just kind of pushing through like these CGI models. And it it's a step up from like, say, like the 98 Godzilla but it still works pretty well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 like a good shitty beer, man. Like, it, it just works. It's not great, but it fucking works. And speaking of things that are digital and CGI, like, uh, I would like to take this opportunity to speak a bit on the 4K release. Yes. That I purchased a couple months ago. I was uh, honestly eyeing that on Amazon today. And is it worth it? I would say yes, just because it's not that expensive, honestly. Um, and also, it's like twenty bucks, right? According to the yeah, according to the back of the the box here, it's 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 put out by Kino. Um, Kino, I Lorber, do love Kino Lorber. Yeah, a boutique brand, which is who oh. is also who puts out uh, my the version of Brick that I have, the copy of Brick that you currently have. Uh, I I do need to send you that uh, along with a, a copy of the Scream uh, Scream twenty twenty two four K. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and also I have a copy of their print of my boyfriend's back bob balaban's second film which we will definitely cover at some point on my show if it ever happens on Twitter. if at this point like god we've we've made no headway on that we keep promising and promising and teasing and teasing hey, and nothing ever i've got comes a theme song thanks to jimmy i have a theme song bought and paid for i paid this man 75 dollars to write this theme song and, that is and, that is 75 uh, more dollars than we paid you to write any of our music because I don't fuck around, man. I'm trying to help out artists. I've got, you know, I don't pay any rent and I work all the time. So I got, I, got, I don't know what to tell you, Steve. But I got a little all, money to throw around. So all your income is disposable is what I'm hearing? Well, not 
all of it. I mean, I okay. do have a child that requires feeding and clothing and sure, other sure, such sure. things. I have a vehicle and I have a cellular telephone and other such things. It's just the, the big one that most people have, I do not have. Right. Which is, I mean, nice for you, man. But speaking mm-hmm. of the Mystery Men 4K. That is some pretty box back, art, too. According to the back, this is, uh, it's a 4K scan of the original camera negative, which I believe, uh, and which I will also say is fine. And I think that's because there's so much digital stuff in this movie that it never really looks like a movie that's on film. Mm. So even the 4K transfer, it looks great. But it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't blow me away like something like The Virgin Suicides. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Like, I, I could probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference between this and the Blu-ray that's in here. Mm. Just because that's, I mean, that's the kind of movie it is. Like, yeah, and that a makes lot sense. of this is, is digital stuff. And especially with the color grading, it's a very dark film. Uh, the colors are very muted, you know. Uh, there's a lot of digital stuff in there. So I, I'm not saying that this is not an accurate 4K transfer. It's just, I would say, maybe not a necessary one. I'm Fair. glad I have it. I'm glad Fair. I have it. This is the best quality I can have it in right now, and I'm glad that I own it. Uh, it also has the commentary that was on the original DVD. Um, it has four extra new featurettes plus the old featurette that was on the DVD. I, I love that featurette, that making of featurette. That's a good one. It has some deleted scenes as well. I haven't checked any of that shit out, though I the, have actually listened to the commentary because I used to own the DVD of this. Mm-hmm. So let's talk some of the deleted scenes because this is a movie that feels like there's a lot left on the cutting room floor. Like it feels like this there's a lot. be two movies, it, I feel like. Or or like a good like two and a half hour movie. And I well, mean, this, for the, this, it kind of, it does the same thing as Pootie Tang does to where like they, they, expected something a lot bigger mm-hmm. so the dialogue is that this thing is happening in a week or right. this thing is happening in three days or four days but because they had to squish it all together and you can see just like in Pootie tang you can see their their mouths are not saying what they're saying when they're like this is happening tomorrow or this is happening tonight and so much right. shit, this whole movie takes place in like i think two days or like two or three days yeah how what there's so yeah. much there's, there's so much so much happened there's at least three evening scenes in this movie <laughs> I know. um and honestly so i think so there's the the first night where they're where they they go up against the red eyes that's night one and then that same night he follows um he follows the disco boys to casanova frankenstein's yes so that's night one the next yes. night is the night where they, like, apparently, like, sometime over the course of the next day or two, question mark, they recruit Invisible Boy, Spleen, and the Bowler. Spleen. Yeah. That 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 should be about two days. We're up to three days now. That feels like a week to me, though. In the movie, it feels like a whole week. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. It feels like a whole last week. Uh, and then the next night is when they uh, get they attack Casanova's car. So that's night four. And then the night after that, like, well, then there's the training montage. And God only knows how long that takes. 
Like that's left up to interpretation. Is that an afternoon? Like, come on, man. Right. There's no way they to know. They do so much in that montage. They make costumes in that montage. They they make costumes. They like the 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 Sphinx like dispenses all of his like wisdom. Like when you <laughs> when you can balance a tack hammer on your head, you can head off your foes with a balanced attack. Like. Uh. And why am I wearing the watermelon on my feet? I don't remember telling you to do hey, that. Hey, speaking of watermelon jokes that don't make any sense, uh, I've read a lot about how Buckaroo Bonsai might have been a bit of a an, an inspiration for this film. I believe and that it. is. I want to believe that that is a shout out to Buckaroo Bonsai having a watermelon joke that just doesn't make any fucking sense at all. I have heard. Why it's funny. I've heard that it is an allusion to the old vaudeville joke, the watermelon and the sledgematic, which I think was later picked up by comedian oh, Gallagher. Yes. That's yeah, that tracks. But still, I hope maybe it was a little inspired by that. I mean, one one can hope. Whenever I hear that joke, I do think about Jeff Goldblum asking about the watermelon. Yeah, I don't remember telling you to do that. Um, I'll tell you later. I I and and maybe that part of it was inspired by 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 a buckaroo bonsai maybe maybe it's it's a dual inspiration kind of a thing but maybe the um, world may never know world may never know we we might have to ask um what was the neil cuthbert about that neil cuthbert by the way another another writer whose oeuvre we can pretty much cover most of on this podcast we cannot cover hocus pocus but we could recover the return of swamp thing on uh unenfranchised one of these days um, Hocus Pocus, we cannot. Mystery Men, we are. And then his last movie, the mo- the last film he ever had a, a writing credit on, Eddie Murphy's The Adventures of Pluto Nash. What happened to him? He's still around. He just he found another profession. I, you get that far, and then you just you're like, okay, whatever. I'm well, he's not getting like credited on. He's not getting credited on shit, but like he might be doing like script doctor work. Which pays pretty well, but you don't always get the credits. Like WGA arbitration and the way that works is is kind of fucking weird. Like yeah. I had heard that Bob Burden had worked on the script, but like he doesn't get a credit on it. And I don't know to what extent that's true. Cause I feel like if Bob Burden had worked on the script, it'd be a little more like there'd be a lot more characters from the comics here. Yeah. I don't know. Like most of the time, um, when the that's the creator right bob burden yeah bob burden most of the time when the creators work on these sorts of things it's more of a consultant kind of thing like they might be on set same as the writer Mm -hmm. but they it's i feel like it's more of a consultant role like even kevin eastman and peter laird on a lot of the ninja turtle films like they were around but they were just kind of there to maybe answer questions about well i mean sometimes they do let the original writers of things write the scripts like sometimes that that does definitely happen happen. yeah and 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 a lot of a lot of sources can call bob burden a co-writer and i don't know to what extent that's true because cuthbert is the only credited screenwriter on this film all we have is speculation at the moment exactly like jury's still out um results unclear um but no, God, I love I love Mystery Men so much. Let's let's talk about some more of the cast of this movie. Oh no, I know what I was wanting to talk about. Like the the deleted scenes cuz a lot of this movie feels incomplete. Like you don't see it happen, but like the last shot you can tell 
they throw the can the tornado in a can into the fraculator the original ending yeah yeah which was the original ending which kinka usher kind of re-edited and reshot because the studio wanted a more like heroic big cheer kind of ending um so he he have a perfect sh- ending for the bowler i'm just saying it it kind of is for carmine yeah for sure your baby bowler I'm the man who gave your daddy the shaft. God, I love her so much in this movie. Um, she's so fucking good in this movie. Um, but I think any female character that is not named the bowler gets really short shrift in this movie. Like Lena Olin is fucking wasted in this movie. Like she is the psychiatrist. She's got like one line at the beginning she shows yeah. up again and doesn't say another fucking word. She just kind of like Casanova's arm candy through the whole movie. Like that's it. That's yeah. all she does. And when, she's when a, she's introduced, like with the twist of like, of course you knew that she was bad. The way she delivers the, twist, the line, yeah, you can tell. But with the twist that she's like directly Casanova Frankenstein's like right hand Casanova Frankenstein's like right hand man, and then mm-hmm. nothing ever happens with that. We don't even know what happens to her. We have no, no. idea what happens to her. No she idea. She disappears from the film at a certain point. And she's, I mean, she's a good actress. She's been in like the unbearable lightness of being Romeo's bleeding. Like she is, she was on, I know her most from alias from like the season of alias that she did. Like she was fucking yeah. great on alias. Like she is, she's an absolutely incredibly talented performer and she's just relegated to a background role. Like, um, um, Claire Forlani as well. Uh, the Ninth Gate, same year as well, this. The she, Ninth Gate, she's in as well. Uh, but Mallrats, Claire Forlani, yeah, Claire Forlani, um, Mallrats, yeah. She, I think, um, I read that she did have a lot bigger role originally in the original script, mm-hmm. uh, where she actually had a bigger role uh, involved with Mister Furious and also helping the team in their their final battle in some way. I don't know. Right. Um, but I mean, hers is she is his redemption arc. Mm-hmm. Like she is his redemption arc. And we just don't end up seeing that. Like none of that made well, it, it to works. the screen. I mean, it does still work. Like that whole scene does still work. It's a little it's, it's a little out there. But if you're if you've held on this long, then that's not that out there. Right. You know, um, it still works. But it would it would be nice to see, you know, maybe a two part version of this film or, you know, uh, kind of an editor's cut. An extended cut, yeah. Yeah, I would, like tone tone and pacing be damned. I just want to see all the shit. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I absolutely want to see what was left out of this movie. Like, I... Again, there's, there's, there's just arcs that seem to, like, be, like, a little clipped and a little cut short. Like, I, I feel like Blue Raja never gets his hero moment in the final battle. Like his, his hero moment is helping Mr. Furious get up the wall. That's his hero moment. Like every, every, literally every other character gets a big hero moment in that final battle with the exception of the Sphinx. Like with all the guns in that final battle, you'd think the Sphinx would split some of those in half with his mind. Like that's, that's his whole deal. That's his whole deal. Um, Plus I hear he can like break guns in half with his mind. Like I, (laughs) 
and the disco boys and all the guns just like like it's so good um but like all the guns and the sphinx is not like so the sphinx and the blue raja really don't get it here i think the sphinx's hero moment is when mr furious asks for the group hug and like the look on west duty's face he is so happy like the sphinx is so happy that they're doing the group hug he's like yeah he's like so excited wow and we we haven't even mentioned tom waits yet I have got to tell you, Tucker, um, Ruby's Arms is maybe the saddest song I've ever heard in my life. Um, I cry every time I hear it. And even before I was just a constant depressive mess, like I am now, I would cry all the time, anytime I heard Because it's just such this, this beautiful, melancholy song. And I love his voice. I love his experimentation with instruments. And it feels like a lot of that shit made its way into this movie and that funhouse scene. Well, it did. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, in a way he's very similar to his character as a musician because Tom Waits just like makes shit. He does. Like he'll, he'll use regular ass instruments, but he's also like, what if we put some strings on that motherfucker? What would that sound like? Like, what if we hit that with a drumstick? Let's see. Mm-hmm. What, that, what, what if we hit it with a, that? What if we hit it with a hammer? Like, yeah. he's he is an incredibly experimental uh, a musician. I almost said filmmaker, but he's not a filmmaker. Yeah. He's a musician. Like, and that's his like main right, thing. Yeah. He'll he'll act again. And I love when he shows. Whenever Tom Waits is in a movie, I get un un unnecessarily excited. Like when he shows up, he's got because one. Because you like, know he doesn't just show up for anything. Exactly. He's got like a scene in the movie Domino, Tony Scott's Domino, a movie I did not like. But when I he showed like up, I yeah. cheered. I cheered when I Tom sh- White shows I up in that, that movie. That, yes, yes. I did not like Domino, but God, I love Tom Waits in that movie. Like my favorite Tom Waits story. And I don't know if I've told this on the podcast or not. My favorite Tom Waits story. So one of my all time favorite television shows is HBO's The Wire. I love that oh. show. It is a fucking masterpiece. Um, I got stuck on the third season, but eventually I'll get through it. The season four is, is incredible. Season four might be the best season of the show. So just if that helps you at all. And that one's also got a young Michael B. Jordan in it. So I know you love well, your Michael B. Michael B. Jordan was in season one. Was he? He said season four. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan's in season one, and uh, I don't think he's going to come back for another season, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. I thought he was in season four. That's my mistake. No, that's season one. And then season two is white people at the docks. And I I like – I I am one of the weird people. I'm one of the weird people that really loves season two. Like I think season two fucking rules. Um, I don't think there's anything for the characters that are kind of left over from season one to do, but I'm sure they'll find something for them to do in the third season. Yeah. Um, season four kind though is them. season four is kind of incredible. Um, I like what they end up doing with Presbalewski in season four. Um, I haven't seen season four. I've only seen the first two seasons. I know. I just but, got burnt out on it because it was so good. I just couldn't stop watching it. And then the third season rolled around and I was like, Oh, I got to take a break. Season, the third season that that's it. that's like that that ties up a lot of the Barksdale shit, uh, which is really nice. good. Yeah, I might so, get back on that. It's been a couple years. I need. I, it's about time. Re, I mean, restart and do a full rewatch. Like it, it's worth it. 
Um, it's been a while since I've done. I'm I'm due for clearly I'm due for a rewatch. If I forgot that Michael Obviously. B. Jordan is in season one, dude, that's God. season one, dude. What are you doing? Fuck me, I guess. Um, but um, the Tom theme Waits song, not in the wire. No, the theme song for the wire though is a Tom Waits <laughs> song. Yes, called yes. Down in the Hole, which is a great fucking song. And the one of the fun things about it is that every season they get a different artist or set of artists yes. to perform it. Like that's they do one the of same the, thing with True Detective, which yes. I think is fucking rad. Yes. Um, but they do the same song, just a different artist covering it every time. And they asked the first season, they and Tom Waits actually does it for season two, which it might be part of the reason why I love season two is because I get to hear Tom Waits every episode. Um, never skip those credits. No, I don't. I mm. never do. I never have. Cause I fucking love down in the hole. Like I, I, I think when Brett and I were doing the, we got five on it blog and we did our top five favorite theme songs. I think I had the wire on my list because I love down yeah. in the hole so much. Every version. Yes. E- every version of it. And it's, it's always different and it's always great. But Tom Waits is always my favorite. Cause I fucking love Tom Waits. Um, uh, one of my students back when I was teaching burned me a disc of like 10 Tom Waits albums called Tom Waits for No Man. And so I had like on my Zoom back when I had a Zoom because I refused to get an iPod, I had like an army forever. Yeah, I had like just acres and acres of Tom Waits music, and it was so great. Like everything from like Swordfish Trombones through like. That's my favorite record of his, actually. It's it's the one. Like if if there's one Tom Waits, Waits record you get, it's that one. That's um, the one I, you show people. Yeah, it is. I I think I also got his uh, Glitter and Doom when Glitter and Doom came out. Like I ran out to buy Glitter and Doom, yeah. which is a good album. Um. Anyway. Um, they asked Tom Waits for permission to use Down in the Hole for the Wire, and he and they sent him they sent him the letter and they just hadn't heard from him. And like weeks and weeks and weeks went by. They hadn't heard from him. So eventually they like call him. They're like, hey, did you get our request? We're really wanting to use it for the show. Like it's we're coming down to the wire. The wire. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're coming down to the wire here and we really need an answer from you. He goes, oh, yeah, sorry. I got to I got to wait till my wife gets back into town because um, he wanted to see the show first. That was what it was. He wanted to see the show before he gave permission. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. Um, he goes, yeah, I, uh, I got to wait because uh, my wife's out of town and she's the one who knows how to work the VCR. So <laughs> he had to wait like a week till his wife got home so she could put the show on the VCR. But then he watched it and immediately gave permission. He's like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. So yeah. and I another story from this movie that I love about Tom Waits is all the weird shit he's doing with his hands is because he had a hard time memorizing his lines, like Marlon Brando style. So he fucking wrote them all on his hand. So the way he's like holding his fair, hands. He says some really weird words. He does. I would probably have to like, shit, I don't even know what the fuck he's talking about. Like, I'd probably it, have to write that on my hands too. Based on simple dry cleaning technology. Like, I got I love. Everything here is completely non-lethal. Like, I like the stance. This whole movie takes a like, like uh, anti-gun, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like sort of a, a traditional sort of Batman stance, like no killing, no guns. Only the villains use guns. 100% non-lethal, yet 100% effective. Like all the weaponry they use the, from the tornado in the can to the shrink ray to the, um, the blame thrower, like all of it is... <laughs> 
like he says, 100% non-lethal, but 100% effective. And then, and like just like the little throwaway shit things that he does, like when he sits down in front of the TV at the end and he's like, what, uh, what, would that psycho, that fraculator thing work? What's what's the story with that? Like you can tell he's like completely ad-libbing shit and it works so fucking well. Like, and that was one of the things that led to so much difficulty on the set is the fact that Usher knew he had a cast of improvisers and so he let them improvise and unique voices too Mm -hmm. but and and i think it's it's the fact that a they're all great improvisers but b all the voices are so unique that none of them could cohesively agree on what the comedic tone of the movie should be which for promotional purposes that does not work but for me it's fantastic it's a too many cooks scenario Right, like you've but got in a good way when you're watching the movie, in a bad way if you're trying to promote that bitch, you know well, what I mean? But, but you can, I mean, you can see in the movie because again, there's multiple comedy styles at play at any given moment. Like what William H. Macy is doing is very different from what Ben Stiller is doing, is very different from what Hank Azaria is doing, and yet they're your Just three protagonists. What Kel Mitchell's doing, like, and even Paul Rubens, like exactly. Jeffrey Rush, everybody's doing something different, but I. I don't know. It works for me. Like sometimes it's a symphonic cacophony. Some, sometimes there's beauty and chaos Mm -hmm. and this film comedic wise, tone wise should not, it should not work. Mm -mm. There's no reason this fucking thing should work. No, but somehow it's perfect. It is. It's It's fucking perfect. And that, and that's, that's, and again, I, I am, I'm of the mind where I'm, I'm like, I will not say this is a good movie. Like it just, I mean, strictly speaking, good movie, probably not, but I think this is a great movie. Like, I love this movie. Like it's, I bought Howard the Duck on 4k. I fucking adore this movie. <laughs> I, I can't, I cannot sanction buying Howard the Duck on 4k, but I can't, I did sanction, it. I can sanction buying this film on 4k. Or Blu-ray if it's cheaper, because honestly, they probably look about the same. But I mean, I I put I definitely put the 4K on my Amazon wish list. So if you if you love yeah. me, find me on Amazon and buy it for me, please. Thank you. Um, right now. But um, but yeah, no, I fucking love 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 this movie so much. And like, I get I get Kink Usher's frustration though. Like, you're dealing with a lot of very powerful, very prominent, very up and coming voices. And one of your, at least one of your cast members is a filmmaker in his own right. Uh, Like Ben Stiller directed reality bites. Like that is a Ben Stiller movie. Like it's like he is, he is a direct and he was actually attached to direct this at one point. Uh, At another point, guess who else was attached to direct this movie Tucker. And I kind of want to see his version of this movie. Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito was attached to this movie at one point was also supposed to play the shoveler in that version of the movie. And I kind of wonder what that would have been like. It would be very mole like, which would have kind of fit that character. It would have worked really well. And you can guarantee like Vincent Chevella would have been in that movie. I fucking love Vincent Chevella. Um, uh, ben Stiller was going to direct it at one point, but right. he, he said it was like too much. He's like, fuck that. He had a very Kevin Smith Superman lives moment mm-hmm. where he's like, ah, it's probably above my pay grade. I don't know if I can do this. No. So he was supposed to direct it and then DeVito was supposed to direct it. And apparently DeVito dropped out because of problem like issues with the soundtrack. 
Yeah, that's what I read. I didn't quite understand that, but I didn't. Okay. I didn't get that either. But that, I read oh, that, and I was yeah. like, I don't know what that means. What does that even but, mean? What does that even fucking mean? I mean, this movie has a gloriously late '90s soundtrack. You know, next time they have Danny DeVito on the Always Sunny podcast, and they they field questions from the audience, I'll see if I can pop in there and be like, "What was the soundtrack issue on Mystery Men? We the world needs to know." Look, man, I and I know I've said this on this podcast before, but I Danny DeVito is one of my like favorite underrated directors. He's an amazing director. Yeah, he's an unbelievable. And he he hasn't directed anything since the duplex, which is a fucking shame because, look, no one directs a a black comedy like Danny DeVito. And there are not enough peak Danny DeVito. Thank you. Yes. And, And again, the guest I would have had on this episode is the guy who introduced me to Death to Smoochie as well. Like, That's he's we the, gotta do Death to Smoochie and have him on. I I I don't know how we do that movie. There's no way that movie was supposed to have a sequel. Um, yeah, we can make it work. I look. We maybe we covered on your show. Um, okay. But I just I fucking love Death to that that movie. That's another movie that I don't think is good, but I think is great. Like yeah. in my mind, that movie is perfect, and I love every fucking second of it it is dark it is twisted it is weird as shit but i cannot get enough of it and mystery men i feel the exact same way about like if i had a guilty pleasure movie it would be mystery men like mystery men is my guilty pleasure movie such as that is for whatever the fuck that means i think the person that has has kind of taken over for danny devito in in filling that void of the movies that danny devito normally does stuff like death to smoochie is Bobcat Goldthwait. I feel like we're getting a lot of the same kind of stuff out of him, like World's Greatest Dad, and even Shakes the Clown for back in the day. Like, Bobcat, he kind of has that same kind of sensibility. So even though Danny DeVito's not out there doing that, I feel like he's kind of passed the torch on to someone else. Right. Uh, uh, An upcoming guest actually is a host of a Bobcat Goldthwait podcast. Fuck yes. Who is it? When is it? I want to talk to him right now. Where are they called him? We, I'll, I'll tell you off, Mike. Um, fuck, <laughs> double fuck, 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 mother, mother, fuck, mother, mother, fuck, fuck, mother, fuck, mother, fuck, noich, noich, noich. Um, why did I just do that? I don't know. Um, because it was appropriate, and I appreciated it, Stephen. That's all. That I'm, matters. I'm glad you appreciated it. God, I, I feel like I'm, I'm paradoxically running out of things to talk about it about Mystery Man, but I feel like just one thing will like push the dam open, and I'll just like. Just start talking about Mystery Men again. Like I, I do. I love this movie so much. Like I can't say enough good things about this movie. Again, is it good? No. Is it perfect? Yes. Like I don't know how that makes sense, but it does. It is. It is the perfect storm. Um, Even behind the scenes, even the making of this film, according to everyone involved, was not necessarily an easy or fun experience no yeah no Um, one had fun making this movie like at all everybody regards this as like their worst film Mm -hmm. which is a shame but also understandable if you have a bad experience on something it doesn't matter how well it comes together you're still gonna fucking hate it i get exactly yeah but it was the perfect storm you have like brilliance everywhere but like in different shades Mm -hmm. and somehow Somehow it all comes together and makes just beautiful chaos. Like I said before, like everybody's going in different directions here. Everybody's doing something different, but somehow it all 
fucking comes together into something that is cohesive, something that has, even though it has a fluctuating tone, it has its own unique kind of tone. Yep. I feel like there's nothing like this fucking movie. No. And it's, I agree with you. It is perfect. There's nothing it, in this movie that I would take out. It's a Frankenstein. Not one thing. This movie yep. is a Frankenstein. Like it is, it it is, it is a, the, the pieces are kind of a bit of a jumbled mess, but the way it all kind of coalesces and comes together, it is, it is a movie that is somehow greater than the sum of its parts. And I feel like that is rare in filmmaking. Like, and I know I there are some who would probably say, oh, I don't know if this movie holds up or I don't know. For me, I, I, I always have fun with this movie. I've never not had a good time with this movie. And the fact that you've got so many people from so many different backgrounds, like you've got musicians, like you got fucking Indie film actors, you've got comedians, you've got established character actors, you've got everything in this movie, people from everywhere. This is just like we need one person from every specific genre and every specific. The only thing you don't like, have in this movie and, is an athlete, really. They should have thrown Michael Jordan in there, but that wasn't my choice. Like, put Bo like, Jackson in there, right? Bo knows. Bo knows. Bo knows. Bo knows. Mystery man. Like <laughs> yeah, that. Dude. But like that is that is one thing that's just not in this movie. But you've got like yeah, you've got your your alt comedians, you've got your indie stars, you've got your fucking indie filmmaker you've got your you've got rappers you've got classic actors louise lasser yes come on man straight up junket like that girl mary hartman mary hartman like yes yeah. yes fuck yes like it's it, it, th this movie is such a perfect storm and you're right there's nothing like it and i don't think there ever could be anything like it again like it is it's it's a lightning in a bottle kind of thing because and, i don't think anybody meant for it to be this fucking good this and, is and all some kind of big cosmic mistake that turned out phenomenally well and that's somehow it. i don't get it but i fucking love this movie today I can absolutely see why someone would look at this movie and go, that is a piece of shit that I will never watch again. No, bury me with this motherfucker. I get, sure. look, I, I, I can understand where you're coming from, but by the same token, absolutely not. I will not give you credence. This movie is incredible. Like this movie is such, a, it's a master. It's a p fucking piece of art. And this is the only time you will hear Steven say that about a movie that features Dane Cook. Yes. Can we For talk now. about can we talk about the audition scene? Can we talk about the audition scene? <laughs> yes, let's please. Cuz that might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Like everything from the Jennifer Lawrence William H Macy like like banter at the beginning of it, you know, there's a lot of men interested, still are. I understand. <laughs> Someone vomits in my pool, I will divorce you. That's fair. I love like, their chemistry, man. I love them as a couple. And I, I love their fucking kids, dude. The payoff of that scene of that of that whole arc too, where he's like on TV and the little kids like, "That's my daddy," and she That's goes, "My, my hero," dad, yeah. and I'm like fucking crying, and I'm like, <laughs> "Damn straight, man, you love that man. Stand by your man." Like I fucking love it, and and but then you you get Dane Cook as the waffler. You get Indianapolis totally misunderstood the science the, the assignment. Oh yeah. According to not that kind of waffle date, but still thank you for coming. The that's 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 great. Uh and I also have my truth syrup, which is uh low fat. 
Yes. Fucking nails it. Like like Dane Cook definitely has his moments. You put that man at the right place at the right time. He can he can spin some gold. And look, it doesn't happen often. Um, but then you get Indianapolis, Indiana native Doug Jones as pencil head. Dougie Jones. Dougie Jones. Uh, I fucking love Doug Jones. He is a he's a fucking master of physical acting. Just an yeah, absolute. Dude, he was in the he was in the Pan's Labyrinth. He was the the and pale man the and the fawn. Yeah. yeah, he was the uh, he was the. Wasn't he in the Shape of Water? He was he was the creature from the Black Lagoon in the Shape of Water. He does so much Gil Del Toro man. shit. Creature the Black Lagoon is called Gill Man. Right, right, right. You're right. Of Scientifically, course. the nomenclature is the uh, the Gill Man. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> Gill Man. We're getting Jack Black. <laughs> Yo, man. Well, actually, it's a good man. Um, the, um, but no, he does so much Del Toro, and he's so good in all of it. Um, and then you get da- like Simpsons, like writer Dana Gould, Gould. as um, creator of Squeegee that one man. show I really liked, uh, Stand Against Evil, which was really good, and everybody should watch it. Uh, yeah, he's Squeegee Man. Uh, you sense its power, yes. Uh, and then you get uh, Fast and Furious actor Sun Sung Kang as one of the Susies in the final gang scene at the end. Like this, Mark Mothersbaugh is the band leader at the beginning of the movie. You know, Mark um, Mothersbaugh is my boy. Like, I know Mark you know, Mothersbaugh is your boy. Like I have a tattoo of his band right there. I know. Right I've seen there. it. You showed me it. Like we are boys. I've seen him in person. Uh, yeah. Just uh, just context for any listeners that are new. That Devo is is one of the bands in my top five that never moves places. Yeah. Um, you've also got Jack Plotnick in this movie as well as as a character called Mister Pups. I don't know what well, that is right- or what that means, but like he's in there. Right along, your friend Miss Izzard. You've got Proswell from the Fugees, dude. Pros Michelle, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Who recently uh, has had some <clears throat> legal troubles? Oh no! You guys been following that? Apparently, I have not. No. Uh, yeah, he's like had some shady business deals with China and. Oof. Uh, yeah, Oof. it's. Uh, uh, oh, Pros. Pros, tell me, Praz. tell me it was an accident. Tell me you didn't know what you were doing, Pros. Saying it so, Pros. Saying it so, Pros. Wyclef's got his back, and I trust Wyclef, so I do I too. Making the whole thing, honestly. Uh, I mean, look, just tell me, Pros. Just tell me it was one time, one time. Um, yeah, just learn from that shit. That's on. it. Like, God, uh, yeah. Um, but again, and and that just speaks to how fucking stacked this movie is like i ned bellamy's in this movie ned (laughs) fucking bellamy is in this movie yes dude i i what like what 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 are we what are we what what is what is life man as uh, mr furious is gonna go pompeii on his ass that's and then you've got Mr. Uh, you've got uh, Monet Mazer from Torque yeah. as as Becky Beaner, the the reporter. Um, you've got um, what's uh, uh, from High School Musical, Corbin Blue as one of the Shoveler's kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, like it's like this is, and again, this movie, because this movie is 1999, so many of the people in this movie would go on to do so much bigger things. And like so many of these people, like even the cameos are like kind of niche people that are going to go on to do much bigger shit later on down the line. And that I think is part of what makes this movie so special is you get so many of these. And it's this thing where you're able to amass so many people right before they hit or a few years before they hit to where when people like us cover it 20 years down the road or I guess almost 30 years down the road at this point. Like we're able to look at it and go like, fuck, this is this is incredible. This is amazing. And smack dab in the middle of that incredible cast is fucking Pee Wee Herman of all people. Let's let. So, yeah, let's do it. We um, were at at the time of this recording. uh, Paul Rubens, the great Paul Rubens uh, passed away just literally. A week ago today, as of the day that we're recording this. He died on the 30th, yeah. Uh, We're recording this on the 6th, which is just uh, like a few days before this episode is is scheduled to drop. And this was, I I will say, this was already on the schedule for this. It it tragically, and I found out from you when you texted the group chat, like, well, and I was just like, fuck, who died? And I was expecting it would be someone like Jeffrey Rush or... Yeah, somebody that's old, or William H and Macy, Paul Rubens seventy, or Wes. I was I was definitely afraid. Paul Rubens become seventy, probably yeah. on his probably on his last birthday Shut would be the my fuck guess. Up, Stephen. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. But no, like Paul Rubens, like such an unbelievable performer like a perennial child of course we all know him probably best and most as as peewee herman um i i mean you and i are of an age tuck and brett as well we're all of an age where like peewee herman was it when we were kids i dressed up as peewee herman for halloween when i was seven years old i have a photo of it that i will ask my mother for and see if i can share it with the group chat so that you all can see it and i was gonna say i will put it on the social medias if if you are able to send it no absolutely well get that um but like but i mean just look i mean he started his first movie was 1968 he played a wedding guest in the movie the brotherhood uh, the first, the 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 earliest thing that I have seen him in is probably 1980s The Blues Brothers, where he plays one of the waiters at the restaurant, the wrong glass, sir. Um, but he's in Cheech and Chong's next movie as Pee Wee Herman. Um, the Pee Wee Herman show, of course, in 1981 was kind of his big breakout. And from there, Pee Wee Herman is everywhere. Twilight Theater in 82, Madam's Place in 82 the paragon of comedy in 83 like he just starts showing up in until 85 when you get yeah, the tim burton movie big adventure dude uh and we we were talking i mean he's Wee herman in future episode of this podcast back to the beach um uh, we can app because that's a that's a reboot of all those frankie and annette shit movies like we could do um, a whole month on that shit there have been so many revivals of those in so many different genres either serious or parody we could do a whole month of that shit but i mean 
beach movie revival movies. Let's do it. Put it on the schedule. <laughs> he's he's a he's a regular Tim Burton collaborator, appearing uh, later in Batman Begin. Or, Batman I'm sorry, Returns. Batman Returns as Penguin's dad. Penguin's dad, yeah. Nightmare Before he was Christmas. One of the kids in Nightmare Before Christmas for sure. He's in future episode. Of, I don't know if actually we'll cover this or not, but he's in Dunstan Checks In. Um, he's in the everybody's got to do a monkey movie. He's in the Danny DeVito film Matilda. Um, He's in the original film Buffy the Vampire Slayer, potential future episode of this podcast. Which he he reprises his character in a season one episode of What We Do in the Shadows, if you guys aren't familiar. There's a season one episode of What We Do in the Shadows where a lot of previous vampire actors come back as... Uh, like even Wesley Snipes is in that episode. They don't call him Blade, but you know who he is. Yeah, like and the Paul Vampire Council as the master from Buffy, the Buffy movie. Well, not the master, but the the. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. But yeah, I mean, like just a man whose career spanned decades and was such an enduring part of our childhood. Now, I will make a confession. I. There were two characters, three characters that absolutely terrified me as a child. There was Sweetums from the Muppets. There was That's Jim Varney's kid. Ernest. <gasps> Steven, you poor, poor man. I, I grew out of it, but his face was so rubbery it seemed unnatural. I just love Jim Varney. So no, I do too. Bottom, from the bottom of my dead little heart. No, I do anyway, too. Anyway, go ahead. And then Pee Wee Herman was the third. And I oh, think no, the, Stephen, no. I think the thing that freaked me out about Pee Wee Herman was he was a grown man who was acting like a child, which seemed off-putting to me as a kid. But secondly, he was also, in addition to that, there was an episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse that my mom had turned on for me when I was a kid. And I had I, I had walked out into the living room and I was in my pajamas and he ran up to the camera and he looked in the camera and like right down the lens and said, and it looked like he was looking right at me and he said, nice pajamas. Where'd you get them? And I freaked the fuck out because I was like, he can see me <laughs> through the TV. And that is terrifying. So I I grew to I grew to fear Paul Rubens as a child. I grew bad. out of it as I grew out of my fear of all of those. I, I did grow out of it. But like, I remember there was a bit he did for Jimmy Kimmel and I remember it well where he did the age of Ultron trailer as Pee Wee Herman. And so he did all of Ultron's lines in that trailer as Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) And it's really fucking funny. I don't even have to see it, man. It's already hilarious. I will see if I can, if I can find it because it is, it's too good. It really is too good. Wow. Um, But yeah, he basically just redubs the, the trailer as, as P here, I have, I have, I think I have found it. I will send it to you. Oh, video unavailable. Damn it. Oh, I need to, I need to find it. Um, cause God, that was so fucking funny. I, I laughed so hard when I saw it. I really did. It was so good, but yeah, no, I mean, Paul Rube. And again, this, this was already on the schedule. We were already planning to cover this this week. We actually were planning on covering it last month, but life, uh, found a way. It's been on the schedule for over a year, I feel like. It really has. It's been on the schedule for a while. 
and our guest was our guest. I've I've had that guest attached to this episode for for over definitely over a year, um, and it, it just the last minute it all fell through. But like I I love this movie. I adore this movie and the fact that Paul Rubens' death happened so close to when we were recording this episode, it, it was not intentional, but it feels like this is kind of the perfect time to cover it because Spleen is for me, my rediscovery of Paul Rubens. It's absolutely my rediscovery of, of that performer and that actor. And it, it, it hits, it works like it, he is so good in this role like the way that he's constantly hitting on the bowler, like he's just a horny little toad. Um, there's not, there's not enough beer in the world. There's not <laughs> enough beer in the world. Spleen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hi, I'm just being, you're very attractive. Like, and, and the way he delivers his origin story in the, in the diner is p- perfect. Um, like the way, and he's definitely giving like some Pee Wee Herman energy, like it's Pee Wee Herman energy, but it's a different character entirely. Well, the only thing for me that gives him away is sometimes the voice comes through because a lot of Pee Wee -wee Herman's voice is based in Paul Rubin's natural voice. Mm. Like when he gets loud, he does, he does kind of have a a Pee Wee Herman sort of thing going. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that says anything bad about his performance. That's just, that's just his voice. Exactly. Like it's very easy. Something that's, that's, that's remarkable to say about that is that even though you hear that, I don't equate spleen with peewee at all. Like they're two completely different characters. Any more than I equate peewee with Amelin from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Or that motherfucker he plays in Blow, which is if you haven't seen Blow. Oh Steven, my god! I've no, I I saw Blow years ago. I completely Blow, forgot he was in Blow. Oh, yeah, Fuck. Penelope Cruz. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Oh, Penelope Cruz. Yeah. <clears throat> I but love no. that. I still like that. I actually watched that movie a couple years ago, and it holds up. It's just a really, really fun movie. I haven't seen it since very shortly after it came out on Blu-ray or DVD. I worked at the, but, yeah. I worked at the theater when it came out, so I watched it several times then and I've seen it a few times since then. There you go. Yeah. I completely forgot he was in that movie. But again, he's he's one of those actors who would just show up and do the work. Like which I, I again I have great respect for actors who are able to do that. Like he's he's a consummate pro and part of a, an, an indelible part of our childhoods and God, we're going to miss him. Like there's, there's yeah, nothing yeah. else. There's nothing else really to say. Like he, he is an incredible performer. And as much as it pains me that he, that he did die, like the fact that we were able to cover that, this was already built into our schedule and we're able to cover it and talk about it now is really, it is, it, it feels, it feels kind of God blessed in a way, you know? Yeah. absolutely. And, and I, I'm, I, I kind of love that. Like, I love that for us um, that we get to to talk about this movie and to talk about his performance, which is, is a great, like he's doing, he's, he's, and again, he seems to be having such a fun time. Like he's, he's doing such good work. The, the chemistry between he, he, he and Kel Mitchell is. Yes. Unparalleled. They are the, they're the power duo. They are the bros of the movie for sure. They really are. Yeah. And, and they're speaking. Go ahead. No, I'm just gonna say like they're the two outcasts. So like they 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 belong together. Like it, it's a natural fit. 
like this movie kind of exists. There are these little kind of clumps and clusters in this movie. And I think their cluster is, is one of the more fun ones. And it's not the most fun one in this movie. I like it quite a bit. And I like what the two of them are doing. And I like the energy that they give off of each other. It's, it's a lot of fun. Agreed. Agreed. Um, uh, I think that will bring me to my final point of the evening. And that is, I love Kenan Thompson. I love everything that Kenan Thompson has ever done. But how is it that out of the two of them, Kenan Thompson and Kel Mitchell, Kenan Thompson was so successful and Kel Mitchell has barely done anything. That's not to say that Kenan doesn't deserve his success. Sure. I'm just saying, how does Kenan get that much success? And Kel doesn't. Like Keenan was always the straight man. He was always the straight man. And he's very good at that. He's very good at playing off like very, very funny actors. And even now he, he does the complete opposite himself and he's amazing at it. Mm-hmm. But in those days you had all that and you had Keenan and Kel mm-hmm. and Keenan and Kel were the breakout stars of all that. But even though Keenan's name came first, Kel was the one that had the catchphrases. Kel mm-hmm. was the one whose goofy antics everybody was giggling at. And sure, Keenan grounded it. And he was definitely, you know, a huge part of that. Keenan wouldn't have, or Kel wouldn't have worked without Keenan. I just don't understand how Kel just fell so far by the wayside. Well, I think Keenan's success you can attribute to three words Saturday Night Live. Well, yeah, well, they both auditioned, man. How'd they both not get it, man? Get both those motherfuckers on there. It's a natural transition, dude. It, 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 but, but again, and I think, I think Saturday Night Live has a, a Lorne Michaels, maybe specifically, has kind of an aversion to established acts. I think very rarely will he allow them all to be on the main cast. I think the, the biggest concession he'll make is like a, a Lonely Island situation where he'll bring on the other or two as writers. Please don't destroy. Right modern the modern version yeah correct yeah he'll he'll bring on the other guys as writers and there will be one guy who's in like the main cast but like i i i and and maybe he was more rigid on it in the early days but like i mean they both come from all that like all that it was the kid version of saturday night live and it was fucking good it was still good. go back and watch that shit and you're having a good time as a 40 year old man i will watch all that and have a great fucking time. I I I I think it's probably streaming on Paramount Plus. I need to go rewatch it because I loved, I own the first three seasons. Of course you do. I loved that show so much <laughs> when I was a kid. I watched it religiously. Um, like I loved it. Like um, uh, oh, what was what was what was the girl's name? I had such a huge fucking crush on, um, on that show. I don't know. Depends on what what which cast, honestly. Uh, I mean, original OG. I'll say I'm I'm OG cast. Yeah, like first three seasons, and then I was out because I kind of aged out of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I um I want to say her, I, her first name was Angelique, but I forget her last name. Well, uh, this is another edition of the part of the show where Stephen looks up stuff. Very exciting. Everyone loves Angelique it. Bates. Angelique Bates um, <laughs> had a big old crush on Angelique Bates for sure. Um, now I have to look her up to see which one she was. She was 
a cutie. She probably still is. I just, you know, haven't, haven't seen her since all that, but I, I had a big old crush on her in the nineties. Um, cause she was adorable. I'm just scrolling and scrolling, and I don't see this person. I think you made them up, Stephen. Uh, TLC did the theme song, I just remembered. Oh, yeah. It was just an introduction before we blow your mind. The show is all that. And yes, we do it all the time. So sit your booty oh. on the floor in a chair. Hands go in the air. Just don't go no. Where? Because everything we do, we all of that. We're entertaining you. We all of that. My posse and my friends, we all of that. So sit still because we're coming right back. Oh, all that. Yep. That is my stupid human trick. There you go. Steven flexing his muscles, the muscles which allow him to remember every TV theme song that he's ever come into contact with. I am a, I'm a fucking weirdo. I don't know why I can do this. I somehow can. It is my stupid human trick. I'm I hate that you can do it. I hate telling people that I can do it because then all they want me to do is all they want to do is try to stump me. Oh, another one I had a crush on, Elisa Reyes. I had a crush on her too. I don't ever want to stump you, Steven. I'm just wondering why you have not done the entire Facts of Life theme song at this point. Because you take the I've good, you take the bad, it. you take take them both in there, you have the Facts of Life. The Facts of Life. Oh, it's because you said you weren't that familiar with it. There's right? a time you got to go and show you're grown and now you know about the Facts of Life. The Facts of Life. When the world never sees you've been living up to your dreams and suddenly you're finding out the Facts of Life are all about you. You, all about you. All about you. It takes a lot to get them right when you're learning the facts, of, learning the facts of life. I know the facts of life, dude. Don't, don't, don't step to me. I wish you would have started out singing because the beginning of that song, you take the book, take the bed, get the get the back to life. It's like one of those like late 70s country pop singers. I don't remember mm. who it is. It's somebody noteworthy. I don't remember who it is. I'll uh, Google that too. But yeah, fucking facts of life. I, I gotta say that's that's an S tier sitcom theme song. You don't get much better than that. There are things better than that, but not many. And there are not many that are on the same tier. Also, Facts of the Life. Facts of Life theme song was composed by Al Burton, Gloria Loring, and then husband Alan Thick. Yeah, dude. Uh, it was performed by an artist called Ray. Man, I wish that that Alan Thicke never had any kids. It was performed <laughs> by who? Ray. What? R A E. TV's Alan Thicke. Okay, I thought it was somebody that I'd heard of, but it's not apparently. I mean, Alan Thicke was part. one of the composers, which is pretty fucking incredible. I'm now, way into that. Now, do you know what theme song? Oh God, oh God, do you know what theme song Alan Thicke did sing though? What's that? I want to know. I gotta know. Do you know what do you know what show The Facts of Life was a spinoff of? Wait, I do, but I don't. What is it? Different strokes. Oh yeah. Alan Thick sang the theme song to Different I am, Strokes. I am inexplicably way into that. Yeah. Way, way into that. TV's Canada's Alan Thick. It takes different strokes performed by Alan Thicke, Linda Harmon, Gloria Loring, and Gene Morford. He 
is the primary lead vocalist on now, do you know that, that song track Steven? could you sing that song for us Steven? uh now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum what might be right for you may not be right for some a man is born he's a man of means then along come two they got nothing but the genes but it takes different strokes it takes different strokes it takes different strokes to move the world everybody's got a special kind of story everybody finds a way to shine it don't matter that you got not a lot so what you've got theirs and they'll you've got yours and they'll have theirs and i've got mine and together we'll be fine because it takes different strokes to move the world yes it does it takes different strokes to move the world wonderful wonderful thank you Thank you, my personal theme song, Jukebox. And this I is why I don't it. fucking tell people this. But <laughs> because assuming, then the whole thing just devolves into me quoting theme songs. I'm assuming that you're not that you're not singing them because you're sick. Because, you know, it would be a lot more fun if you were singing them and I could provide backup vocals. But I feel it like that's would. a whole other Patreon show. I you know, and here's the thing. Maybe that's <laughs> a maybe that's what we do for the Patreon. Is maybe we have our patrons like write in with some of their favorite TV theme songs and I don't look at them. And then you and Brett just, and, and again, the qualifications I usually get is theme songs within my lifetime that have lyrics between. So like, and, and there are a few that I know before my lifetime, like some oh, of the big a ones lot before I'd say for me and probably for you, probably yeah. for me. I'm like the love like boat. Mary I Tyler know Moore, like Dick doesn't have any words. You could be all like, that works too like but but no i don't i don't they've got to have lyrics um whistle the andy griffith theme if you want i could yeah i mean i could do i mean but like they've got to have but like gilligan's island i know like the love boat i know like i mean it's just you know there are there are a lot that i just again and that was a, a, a weird obsession of mine as a child and none of that has left my brain because my brain is deeply, deeply broken. Um, I can dig it. So maybe that's a Patreon show. And hey, you should join our Patreon Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. You can find like literally hours of content over there. Um, you guys, and- look, you could join for one month. You could pay five dollars mm-hmm. for one month and you could listen to a couple episodes of whatever's on there pretty straight for those five days and you'd still only be making a dent. Here's what you get. The dense amount of content that is on there. Hundreds. Hundreds. I'm not kidding. You think I'm joking? Mm -mm. There's hundreds of episodes of business. Business episodes, if you will. Here's what you get. You get a weekly show that we've been doing for God the past few months called uh, "What Are We Watching?" Yes, you my can, baby, my brainchild. Your, yes. your, your, which, <laughs> which really just stemmed out of a segment I had already created that you just kind of commandeered and took over and renamed for some reason. I gave it structure. I gave it structure. Excuse you. I don't know that I it needed structure. structure, but okay. Um, but um, what are we watching where we talk about stuff that we've watched? And honestly, just kind of ramble and muse. So if you like the tangents and the banter, that is a weekly version of, of just basically that. just that. Oops, all much. tangent is what it should be called. Brett's got a show called Oops, all video game corner. We've done like probably seven of those so far. Like our most recent one, I think we'll probably be dropping this next week on all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle video games. In honor of Mutant Mayhem, which we talked about the 2007 film last week, uh, I've got a show I that I've we've, Mayhem. 
It's yeah, okay. and, and you did. And Tucker, and Tucker talked about it. And if you want to hear more of his thoughts on that, you should go subscribe to our Patreon. Um, I've got a show called Oops All Christianity Corner where we watch movies with religious themes and Tucker and Brett grill me on, on, on them. And we just like chat about organized religion and how fucking weird really it is. Fascinating. And yeah, it, it, I have a lot of fun with it. Not everyone likes it, but look, there's so much I, other stuff on there. You guys, I am a godless heathen and I have a wonderful time on this show because that shit, whether I believe it or not, that shit is so interesting to me. And I've spent the majority, the better part of 40 years, like studying that and teaching that. So I went to college for that shit. Like I did. that's the whole thing. Had made a career out of it for a while, for yeah. almost for for over a decade. So you I'm trying know. to say Stephen knows what he's talking about when it comes to that kind of shit, for sure. Um, I do okay. Um, we've got commentaries that we've done on Adam's Family Values and Train to Busan. Uh, we've also got commentaries that we've done on trailers, where we'll just watch a trailer and talk about it. We've got um, reviews, movie reviews of movies that we've seen, like uh, Scream Six. And um, weird, the Al Yankovic. Weird, the Al the, the Al Yankovic story. That's right. Um, like there is I'm the weird one. There is so much stuff. There's our our Oops All Christianity Corner Christmas episode that was free that we posted yeah. last last it's Christmas. On the main feed. Check it, it out. Scroll it, down real real far. It's actually not on the main feed. You actually have to go to the Patreon to see it. But it's it should be free on the Patreon. Okay. So the Patreon, and we haven't even mentioned like our core shows. We have core shows. The core shows, which we haven't done in a while, like the Dis and Five Chais, which is where we do I top tried, five lists. I try to force you guys to do one a month, but sometimes it's difficult. Life finds a way a lot these days, does. dude. We're it all busy. Does. Here's the thing. This, during the and summer, then. we're all busy. All yeah. of us, all three of us. So it's it's really hard. It's it's look. It's hard enough to find all three find time for all three of us to sit down and talk about a main feed episode, let alone a Patreon episode. Um. But then we've also got um, uh, Uninfranchised, where we talk about <laughs> Uninfranchised, where we talk about a movie that killed off uh, a popular long running franchise. Can so. we do uh, next year on April Fools? Can we do Uninfranchised, where we do our top five list of favorite movies that killed a franchise? Can we do Honestly, that, I don't think we need to wait for April Fools. Like, we can just we can just do that fucking whenever. Like when DC and Marvel came together in the '90s and did the Amalgam Universe, you had like Spider Boy and the Dark Claw. You know, I remember it. all that. Yeah, you just birthed a brilliant idea, Stephen. Thank you for that. You're welcome. My my Your drunken is our treasure. My drunken, tired stupor at this point is just leading to gold. Apparently, um, yes. Yes. But but and and so one of the things that we're we're pitching now and hey if you're if you're listening to this and you're a patron let us know what you think of that um, should we do an episode of uh, of Stump the Chump where you guys write in theme TV theme songs that you want to hear me either recite or sing I am not a great singer so it's okay I am but uh, but yeah so give it give, give us a write in and 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 see what you think. Um, but yeah, also, we'd be we'd be silly not to mention the theoretical future show straight up, which is is that uh, what it's called? It's called straight up, man. Like for now, like it might change. Is uh, is the theme song Paula Abdul or no? I, straight the up song, now, tell me, do you really want to love me forever? Oh 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 oh. Um, the theme song was written by my good friend Jimmy, a uh, future guest of 
the main feed at some point whenever we decide to cover that weird movie I've never heard of that he wants us to cover. Um, and also, he will definitely be a guest on Straight Up as well. He wrote my theme song um, because he is a far more talented musician than I am, and I wanted my theme song to be better than the shit I wrote for this podcast. Uh, I wanted to rise above the disenfranchised. <laughs> How dare you try to be no, better than no, us? Never. I would never. No, I did get Jimmy to write it, though, because I thought it would be weird to write the theme to my own show. That theme has been in the bank for about three months, just waiting to start it up. It's going to be a show about uh, obscure films, uh, hidden gems, the, the underappreciated, the forgotten, and the unknown, if you will. Right on. And hopefully that, you know, I'm just trying to get, I you know, after the first episode, I don't care if if you if you or Brett want to join, you know, for whenever, that's fine. I would love to have you guys there, but I have to have you for the first episode. I can't I can't do the first episode of that without both my boys. You know what I'm saying? It would I be wrong. You. It would I be wrong. You. I mean, much as I love you, it always feels weird doing this show without Brett here. It does. It does. It always does. It does. Like it's, I, it, I we, love we, you. We do great, but there's, but there's just a little something missing there. There's man. a Brett-shaped hole in my heart, is yeah. what it is. Agreed. And I wish he would come storming right back right now. Yeah, man. Yeah. I love that boy. Um, but yeah, let's let I don't know. Let's, but yeah, uh, Patreon.com/slash/disenfranchpod. Uh, check that out. Honestly, you can join free for seven days right now. So go check that. That's was true. that's a much longer plug for the Patreon than we ever do. Doesn't matter. It it was a good one, and but I think uh, it came from the heart. It did. It did. It did. Um, so yeah, uh, that is this is our mystery men show. I hope you guys liked it. We had a good time, and God, I love this movie. Um, no, let's. We didn't do the fucking. We didn't do the fucking numbers. Yeah, do them, dude. I was wondering what you were doing. It's like, yes, do I want to wrap this up? Of course, but also do them numbers do because the you know what fucking work steven there's an unofficial and very unappreciated part of this podcast where steven lists off the movies that were released or or that were on the charts that week and i with no response from anyone else I just say something about each movie um, mm -hmm. and i say it's underappreciated because no one likes it but i keep doing it you do so i <laughs> So let's get to it, Stephen. I'm excited to participate in this again. In first, in first place this week, brand new movie, the big hit, the third film, but the first big hit from a, a filmmaker we all love named uh, Minaj Knight Shyamalan, a little movie that you and I like to call The Sixth Sense. That is the number one movie in the country this week, and it it, it has made 26 point seven million dollars uh in its, so. in its opening weekend great movie uh in second place uh one of the like great indie hit maybe like the biggest margin profit margin of 1999 uh in one of the great horror movies of the late 90s uh it's blair witch isn't it it's, it's the blair, blair witch, witch project yeah Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I didn't know that that was fake when I saw it because you know the world was different then, and yeah. you could fool people, and that made it all. You know, I'm glad I was a fucking idiot because that made it all the more more scarier. It mm -hmm. made it all the scarier. All the, I can't do more and er at the same time. All the scarier, more frightening. Scary. 
all the more scary. It's two syllables, so you do more. It's not the ER. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. I would say all the more frightening, but yeah. Um, that that movie in in the four weeks of its release has made eighty million dollars on its way to one hundred and forty thousand. It may it was made for like sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, like it was it was just such a fucking cheap what a ass return. movie. What a fucking return! Again, yeah, that's amazing like Halloween numbers. Dude. Yeah, original yeah. Halloween. Fucking a. That's really like good God, for them. Yeah, really six. No, not six six hundred thousand. Oh, that's higher than I thought. I was I thought it was only about sixty thousand. Six hundred thousand worldwide box office. The worldwide box office on that is two hundred and fifty million. Jeez, that's over four hundred times their production budget. Like, <laughs> I know. God, what a what a return! In second Good place, job. hey, what happens if we get the uh, the stars of Pretty Women, Pretty Woman back together to do another movie? Uh, dropping oh, three God. places in its. Uh, Dropping three places in its second weekend, it's Runaway Bride. What they if the bride the whole, ran away? They tried to do the whole, uh, like, Sleepless in Seattle, you've got mail thing. Mm-hmm. And no, uh, like, Didn't that work. only works if you're Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. So. Pretty much, yeah. And even then, it doesn't really work that well, even though Steven saw that movie 6,000 times when he was a child. You've got mail. Yeah, my that was my sister's favorite movie for a while. So if I wanted to exist... Uh, when <laughs> then then I had to watch that one with my sister. So yeah, and she watched it. Was just it happening all around you incessantly. Like she would. I, I know I've told this. <laughs> I know I've told this so many times. She would watch that movie, rewind it, and watch it again. Like one That's time, fair. my dad my dad came home from work after my sister had watched it literally all day, and she was like watching it. My dad's like, oh, I wanted to watch the news, but you know. She's watching. I'm like, you know, she's watched it like six times today. My dad's like, what? <laughs> By the time she was a freshman in high school, she'd seen that movie over 30 times. I love my sister, but good Lord. Um, it, it is in fourth place. Uh, the by uh, one of the last one of the later films by the great John McTiernan, a movie that I have never seen, but I've heard is very good. The remake of the Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, I didn't see that, but I worked at the movie theater when it came out, so I watched the credits a whole bunch while I was mm-hmm. in fifth place. What many would agree is maybe the second best shark movie ever made. Samuel L. Jackson, Ladies Love Cool Deep James, Blue Deep Blue Sea, Deep Blue Sea at number five, and then in sixth place we get Mystery Man. Mystery Man opens to ten million dollars in its opening weekend it would you know, go on kept that momentum it wouldn't have done bad but i feel like people were testing the waters and nobody got it i mean in its second weekend it drops to eight and then the weekend after that and it, it it's down to 11 like it just it kept dropping but the weekend after that it's 19 like it just plummets like a stone. I'm it just ends- saying back then in those times, you could have a shitty opening and and come the fuck back. Like Scream, Scream got a second release. Like mm-hmm. they re-released Scream because like the word of mouth hadn't caught up to it by the time it left theaters. You know what else got and a re-release? Everybody wanted to fucking see it, and then it did Gangbusters the second time they released it. Like just a couple months later. You know what else was a big thing back then. You know what else got a re-release, and they were hoping for that similar kind of thing just just last year. 
Morbius. Morbius. Past episode of this podcast, Morbius. Yeah, but Sony's stupid. Did they just they just heard that people were talking about it? Or did they actually investigate what they were saying? Because I, if they did, what the fuck? I think it was the first one. You think, I mean, come on. If snakes in a, on a plane have taught us anything, you can't you can't bank on a meme. You can't fucking bank on a meme when it comes to releasing films. You just can't do it. Uh, Mystery Men earns about just shy of $30 million um, Damn shame. domestic. Uh, it earns uh, a little over just about $4 million international for a grand total worldwide box office of $33.5 million off of a $68 million production budget. I have also heard uh, the uh, LA Times reported, I think, that it was a $75 million budget, which may have been f- factoring in marketing because the marketing for this movie was everywhere. Or and even the reshoots with the ending and such. Right. So like it was it was a very expensive movie. Um, but it didn't for make it. Yeah. So it, right. For the for the time, it was it was had a pretty big price tag. They were expecting it to be a big old hit, and uh it wasn't. So yeah. Uh rounding out the rest of the top ten in seventh place, you've got Matthew Broderick and Rupert Everett in Inspector Gadget from the Walt hey. Disney Company. I like it, that movie. Uh, makes Off, sense. Good. In eighth place, you've got The Haunting, the DreamWorks film The hey, Haunting. Uh, you know, I'll admit that this is a hot take, but I like that movie too. Like, and I, that's why yeah. I was kind of excited to to see the new Haunted Mansion because it's been a while since I've heard a wow inside of a haunted house. Wow. 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 Mater, wow. Um and then uh in ninth place you've got uh maybe one of the gr- the last great hand-drawn animated films the iron giant oh fuck yeah i was just talking about that the other day with my my co-worker we were which talking is about how ben diesel should do like more roles that challenge him instead of just him playing himself and making a bajillion dollars uh that movie opened to five point uh seven five point eight million dollars so not a great opening that one does not do well. Uh, and then in 10th place, you've got American Pie. The original, okay. which in its fifth week has already earned $85.5 million. Uh, And then, I mean, I'm going to keep going because 1999 is one of those all-time great movie years. I kind of want to shout out some others in this list. In 11th place, you've got Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. In its 12th week, has earned over $400 million. Uh, Dick in 12th place, ah, opening this hey. weekend. <laughs> can i tell you a real fun story um so i worked at the movie theater i told you i worked at the you know the movie theater when i was a youngster yeah and the movie theater. i got i you know the movie theater where right. they show the movies on that one. on the screen from the film yeah, and the, you know yeah, the one you get the popcorn and mm-hmm. you have a good time yeah um, i always got all the posters because nobody else wanted them because everybody else sucked um so i always got all the posters and i had the poster to uh the film dick uh, with Dan Hedaya and uh, Michelle Williams and Kristen Dunst and all those motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. And I also had the poster for the first reboot of Shaft, starring mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson. Future so, episode of this podcast. Until those posters met an untimely demise later in my life, I always placed them right next to each other. Because you always want to put your dick next to your Shaft. And it was it was very wonderful. Both very different posters. Very, very different. 
Uh, they clashed uh, color wise, theme wise. Mm-hmm. But you can't, you can't, you can't waste a phallic reference, Stephen. You can't. Mm-mm. Like dicks are like farts. They're always funny. They're always funny. That's all I have to but say. Look, about but looks are. And I, I do love that movie too. I do love Dick. It is a f- really, really fun movie. And if you haven't seen it, you should totally watch it. Uh, 13, you've got the end of the Disney Renaissance, Tarzan. Uh, 14th, you've got uh, one of my favorite Stanley Kubrick movies, Eyes Wide Shut. Hot take there. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> eight, well, teach their own. That movie fucking yeah, exactly. rules. That's why we're friends. I'm glad you I'm glad you get rules. joy from that, Stephen. I'm, I'm very happy for you. Um, 18, you've got Lake Placid. Uh, 19, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. 20, future episode of this podcast, Wild Wild West. 22, one of my all-time favorite underrated comedies. Speaking of Kirsten Dunst, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, You've got The Matrix still in theaters after 19 weeks at 24. Um, The Brendan Fraser Mummy at at 27 South Park bigger longer and uncut at 29 Mupp- past episode of this podcast Muppets from Space at 30 one of your favorite movies Run Lola Run at 31 like this box office i mean again that's how good a year this is is we're down in the 30s and still hitting bangers like 1999 is considered one of the great film years for a reason absolutely um so yeah, that uh, oh the tomatometer score on this movie is a sixty percent. The critics' that. consensus anything abs- under a ninety-seven is a crime against humanity. Please continue. Uh, I mean, higher than I would have expected for critics on this movie. To be honest, though, um, critics' consensus: absurd characters and quirky gags are brought to life by a talented cast providing the superhero spoof with lots of laughs. Uh, the meta score is a 65 based on generally favorable reviews from 24 critics. And the letterbox score on this is a 3.0. Tucker out of five stars. How many stars are you giving Kinka Usher's 1999 masterpiece, Mystery Men? That's going to be a five, Steven. Uh, it's going to be a big same for me. This is absolutely a five-star movie. This is a movie that I love. Um, we don't know how, but it's I, a five-star movie. I don't I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me that this movie is five stars, but it absolutely is. And I love it so much and I will always love it. And that's that's really all I have to say about that. Like, I think this movie fucking slaps and um, I will I will stand for it till the day I die. That's pretty much all there is. And I will stand there right next to you, Stephen. Right on. Hand in hand. Hand in hand to the end. And that, my friends, is our Mystery Men episode of the Disenfranchised Podcast. God, this has been a long one, but we warned you it probably would be. Again, check out our Patreon, or patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Shoot us an email, uh, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Should Stephen watch Benny and June is this week's question. Shoot me an email. Let me know if you think I should. Um what else do we know? Oh, we do social medias. We're on all the social medias. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Threads at Disenfranch Pod. Uh, I, user interaction ba- uh, uh, interaction rate for Threads has dropped eighty percent since it came out. That's not that. surprising. Okay. Look, at, so after Twitter just became like you know reskinned 4chan, I pretty much stopped using any social like twitter was my main social media i was telling tucker before we got started i barely remember to update 
social media for this show half the time because i'm just on social media so little these days i mean twitter was a dumpster fire even before the current owner took over so like i don't blame you it just you know it, it took that disaster for me to finally haul ass out of there um but uh, you can also uh, check us out on uh, your podcatcher of choice. And while you're there, the best way to support us, particularly if you don't want to spend any money, and if you've already spent money, I'm assuming you've already done this too. If you are spending money on the Patreon and haven't done this, get your life together, get your life right, and get on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Sort your life out, mate. And leave us a five-star rating and review. That's going to help a lot of other people find this podcast uh, because you and I both know that we're number one and all others are number two and lower. But we need you to convey that to the rest of the world so they can know that as well. Um, so the validation is nice. It really is. And you know what? If you leave us a nice review, we might read it on the podcast. Who knows? Maybe. I, I'm not I'm not above such things. Same with emails. Send us an email. I might read it on the podcast. So if you, Dude, if, no, we absolutely will. If you send fan mail... Like, or like some straight up fan art. Like we're we, going to talk about it for a while. We're going to mention your name at least three or four times. And the fan art will go up on our Instagram as well. And we will tag the, the hell out of you. So the fan art will go on my wall. I will print that shit out and put it on he my will. fucking wall. Bet. He, you, 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 you can, you can believe Tucker will slide into your DMS and give you his address. So you can mail that shit to him. Bleed at. Bleed at. Um, you can find uh, this enfranchise podcast on, all those platforms at Disenfranchise Pod. You can find me, your host, Stephen Foxworthy. Hi, hello, on Twitter, Instagram, letter. Well, I mean, fuck Twitter. I barely use that anymore. Instagram, Letterboxed, um, Threads, and Blue Sky. I'm on Blue Sky now at Chewy Walrus. Nobody even knows what that is. That's because it's because they haven't been cool and gotten invited yet. Oh, um, that's right. You got invited. I forgot your part of the elite. That's right. Um. And usually, like people with like a high degree of positivity. So I don't know what that that says about oh, me. I don't belong on there. No, you don't. I bitch a lot. <laughs> you do. You really do. Look, Brett joined Threads recently, and I was shocked. Um, oh, hey, look at that. Yeah, you can you can find our good buddy Brett on Instagram, uh, Letterboxed, and now Threads at sus underscore warlock. Tucker, what about you? Uh, of course, I'm still on the YouTubes at Ice909. That's I-C-E-N-I-N-E, the number zero and the number nine. Uh, I also have an Instagram page um, <clears throat> called Tuck's Mugs. It's on Instagram at Tuck underscore Mugs. Give that page some love. We had a uh, both Brett and Stephen have had guest mugs on the Instagram page, but this very last week, we had our first actual fan guest mug. Friend of the show, future guest Andy Greetings um, dropped that for us. And it was glorious. And, and it's, I it's loved mug. the mug. I loved the story. It, it it definitely fit the tone and the spirit of the Instascam page, if that's even a thing that an Instascam page can have. Uh, I thought it was wonderful, and I, I loved having the, the guest mug on there. It was wonderful, and everybody, everybody else on on the hardworking staff at Tuck Mugs, really just just enjoyed seeing that and putting that post together. It they did. They of, really it did. It takes a lot of hands and a lot of minds to put Tuck Mugs on Instascam. It's a, it's a big operation, so you know if you can go buy Tuck Mugs and give us a follow, like some of our posts, and and send us a guest mug. You can send the, your guest mug post, which would just be you'd follow the format of 
of the page, which is to send a mug, tell us the story, the origin of the mug, if you will, and then tell us what you're drinking out of the mug. And just email that to disenfranchpod at uh, straightupgmail.com. Or and, you could uh, also send it to us in DMs on Instagram. That also works. You could, but emails are way cooler. I'm just saying, there are, you got options. You got options, sure, sure. But uh, it's just like when you uh, make a frozen dinner, the preferred method is email. There you go. Well, it is almost 1 a.m. where you are, Tucker, so I'm going to land this plane because uh, I know you got to work tomorrow, So, and you worked all day today. So... Same God, as it ever was. Same, same as it ever was. And look where my hand was. Um, <laughs> I almost said that. That's, we're, we're friends, Steven. I don't know if you knew this, but we are friends. Steven. We sure are friends. <laughs> that is all we wrote for the for the Mystery Men, ep- the long-awaited, long-time-coming Mystery Men episode. And long-winded Long Mystery Men. fucking-winded <laughs> Mystery Men episode. It was so fucking great. I have been your host, Stephen Foxworthy, for my absent co-host, Brett Wright, and my present co-host, Tucker. Until next time, frack you later, Frank and pusses.